This episode of the only podcast about movies was recorded a little differently, but not too differently from the last two specials we recorded. Once again, we have an amazing guest co-host from California Skyping in to take us down the last miles of the road to Infinity War. So if you hear any pop scratches, Skype audio hiccups, or just the sweet sound of the beach, please pay it no mind. And with that, let's finish down the road. Enjoy the show. I could do this all day. My name is Matthew Kroll. And the crappy puppy is so cute, it makes me want to die. I'm Shelly Evans. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically our Road to Infinity War three-part special, Phase 3. We have done it with me once again for this amazing journey. The only person I know and trust that would also (laughs) do this with me, the wonderful and fantastically talented comedian and actress, Shalia Evans. Hello, Shalia. Oh, hello. Hello. Thank you. Hello. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you again for coming back uh, for a three-peat in this marvelous journey we've taken. Oh, it's a marvelous journey. (laughs) It's a marvelous world after all how how are you holding up now that we have watched all 18 currently released marvel films well let's see um i let me first start by saying phase one i was a little like okay i'm getting the hang of this yep phase two i was getting a little overwhelmed Mm mm-hmm Phase three, I'm sad that it's coming to an end. Yeah, it's uh, there's this is my new way of life. (laughs) (laughs) How are we people now? (laughs) I don't know what to do. Do I read? (laughs) It's a quandary. We've based our lives for the last couple weeks around watching these films. Mm -hmm. And and now now there's nothing there. But I will say this, and this is coming from. Someone who, I mean, as I think you've gathered, uh, is a huge fan of all things Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yes. I'm equating this experience, and it started hitting me around the last three or four films that I had to watch uh, in order to complete this this uh, odd little experiment, that th- these movies are like... Um, like an incredibly good, rich meal and that you that I eat and I'm enjoying and I'm like, oh, this is so good. This is so good. This is so good. This is so good. And then they're like, that was course three of seven, sir. And I'm like, oh, oh, oh OK. And I like the food's still good, but I am very full. My mind is is now <laughs> totally soaked in this. Mm-hmm. And um, this this episode is going to be supercharged because I, I, I need to get all this information out. <laughs> yeah. Um, I will say your food analogy works really well for me as well, because I get very sad after dessert's over. <laughs> like, that's it? That's it. We're done eating? <laughs> what do I eat it. now? <laughs> can we go home and eat? <laughs> yes, we can eat once we get home, but okay. we're going to now have to watch, I don't know, what else is coming out? Rampage? I don't know. Uh, or, or or more meaningful films. I don't know. Um, yeah. <laughs> We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Uh, we have a couple of emails uh, this week, dear listeners, from you. So thank you so much for writing us in at OnlyMoviePodcast at gmail.com. Good job using those fingers. Yeah, they, they used them. They clickety-clacked all over the boards. And uh, 
or there's or there's smart devices. I don't know how the kids do it. And uh, we, but we're, instead of reading them up top like we've been doing, I want to sort of equate them into the films that they are about. So we're we're going to go with it in that sort of uh, you know. We're just gonna rock it like that. Great. Without further ado, no more do. No more dues. <laughs> would you like to announce the first film that we will be discussing today, Shalia? Number one of Phase Three. It's Captain America, Civil War. Yes. Dun, dun, dun. Directed by the Russo brothers, Anthony and Joe, yet again. Hey, guys. Yeah, hi, guys. How are you? Way to keep getting jobs. I know you're listening. Yeah, way to keep collecting that paycheck. Good, um, good job. Shalia, did you see this film before this assignment? Did you see this film uh, in the theaters when it came out? Yes, I saw it in the theaters, and I have watched it since. Between the theaters and this. Okay, okay. So this is a many times viewing for me. Understood. Um, Mm -hmm. What were your thoughts initially when you saw it as part of this thing? And then now being so engrossed and having watched them in order, Mm -hmm. uh, did your opinion change or is it the same? Well, my number one opinion is actually summed up in a line that Natasha Romanoff gives. Okay. Which is... That Tony, he can't let go of his ego for one goddamn second. (laughs) This is a movie about men that won't have a conversation. (laughs) That is what this is a movie about. It every everything that happens could be solved by just continuing to talk instead of being like, "I'm gonna punch you." Like, and that I still have fun watching it. But oh my god. Everything that happens in this movie could be fixed if they just stopped fighting and talked to each other. Because they're friends. They are friends. Fucking idiot. It just makes me... So, that's my. That was my initial reaction to it, was I was like, I'm exhausted by men. Like, okay. that, was, that was my first reaction. Okay. Second time around, I, uh, I uh, stood by it. Now I'm standing by it. I'm exhausted by men watching this. I still enjoy it. Right. But, oh my God. Not, like, you know how there are movies that came out, like, 90s and before that if you add a cell phone... The plot doesn't work. Sure, sure, if sure. If you sure. add a an intelligent conversation between friends to okay. this movie, the whole movie falls apart. Because uh, <laughs> they'll even start talking and then they give up and are like, "I'm too angry to talk anymore." Like normal people don't get to do that. I agree with what you're saying uh, mm-hmm. for the most part. <laughs> I do, uh, but I do. I this was the film I was actually the most excited to talk to you about Ooh, because okay. if, if listeners will remember from our last phase two episode special that mm-hmm. we did uh i i, I we, we sort of hinted at each other that we would probably have differing uh differing opinions on this film and perhaps start our own civil war yeah um i agree with the men not talking trope in fact uh-huh. it's it's rampant across all media especially like the cell phone analogy you've said it's 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 very much akin to that i also blame and this is more people not just men but uh the series lost it, everything it lost could have been solved uh, with the conversation, but too many yeah, people yeah. kept too many secrets. That's more secrets than having a discussion in than yeah. this film. I mean, we'll as we go through this step by step, I'll tell you the different times that uh, that Steve would be and Tony great. could have had a fucking conversation. Yeah, I would love that. They have so many opportunities to stop being assholes, and they don't take them. Even when Black Widow's standing right there saying. 
You can't put your ego away for one goddamn second. She even says, God damn. She does. She's, she's serious. And, and it's complicated because this is the most sort of, I feel like, to this point for me, the film that has the most uh, intercharacter uh, emotional weight to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are two characters who are, you are right, will, are not talking, but have such, uh, no pun intended, stark differences in ideology <laughs> that uh, that it it comes to blows. Now, th- in, in the comic book world, writers are always trying to figure out sort of clever ways of making the heroes fight each other before they fight the, because it just gives, it's like an easier sort of like palate cleanser type thing before they realize they're working for the same thing and whatever. Uh, okay. uh, and, and in the comic book Civil War, which this is very loosely based off of, uh, the Sokovia, the Ultron Sokovia thing didn't happen. And instead of the Sokovia Accords about sort of having the UN govern superheroes. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit more silly. Uh, basically, due to an accident uh, starring, I, and I kid you not, a reality show with young superheroes. Uh, they are trying to catch supervillains in Stanford, Connecticut, and an explosion actually goes off, killing 400 people, including a uh, gr- uh, elementary school. Oh, yeah, what? super dark. Weird. Then the government steps in and says, we need to do this superhuman registration act. And that means that all of you superheroes can still be superheroes, but you have to be government employees and you have to put your identities in a database. Now, wait, can I ask a question? Sure. Um, now, because this is something that comes up in my brain quite a lot, which is that the X-Men are Marvel. Yes. But is the difference between in this universe someone that counts as a superhero and someone that's a mutant, just whether they were born that way? Interesting question, Shalia. I'm happy you brought that up. Here is how it goes. Thank you. So from from in the comic books and in the Civil War sort of thing, uh, the mutants have always been persecuted by the government. And mm-hmm. that is obviously coming from the analogy of like fear of the other that the X-Men have sort of been based off of the entirety of their time. Yeah. Um, it gets real dicey in this point because at this time, I believe in in the Civil War era in the in the Marvel comic book universe. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember Emma Frost, who was played by um, January Jones. Thank you so much, January Jones. Uh, so the White Queen is now in charge of the X Men during the time in the comic books is going on, and she's like Ooh. a good guy now. Okay. Tony goes to her first, and it's like we need like we need your help in this. Like the X Men have always sort of tried to be helpful with the government, and blah 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 blah. So they do they do interact act in the comic books yeah okay and but she says look yeah we've interacted with the government and look what it's gotten us and literally Mm -hmm. you see those giant sentinels that like hunt the x-men like looming over the mansion like just like basically they're in they're in a surveillance state 24 7 so the x-men in the comic books just are like nope not doing it Mm -hmm. and that gets real complicated because also at the time wolverine is both an x-men and an avenger it's weird oh but Jumping back into the MCU, the the so much I just had to know. Of course, the <laughs> the much cleaner version of this, and I like that they've sort of updated it for the times. Is Tony Stark? His whole thing is uh, first he was. I mean, you look at Iron Man two. He's the cocky like you don't have to worry about anything because I got this covered. I've privatized world peace and like all this shit. Mm-hmm. Now, especially after he's he's had a series of very public fuck-ups yes he had iron man 3 the whole debacle with his suits and almost getting the president killed just the film <laughs> yeah yeah because he called out because he called out uh, a terrorist then mm-hmm. he has ultron which is his fault absolutely yeah i don't understand how the world is so mad at all the other avengers be mad at tony and that's his fault. he did that yeah i think the reason why the world in this war in this universe isn't mad at his is because he's one of the ones that's supporting the accords he's the one that's actually being like you know 
what? We can't just drop a city yeah. and then walk away. We, there needs to be accountability. He's the one that needs those checks more than anybody else. The rest of them, I mean, I'm fine, but he's <laughs> a problem. <laughs> Well, there's, guy there's just doesn't listen. And this is where I will start to agree, I think, more and more with your two men just not talking to each other analogy, because and then, then they we bring in at- all the other men they know and none of them, none of them talk. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the cap's position in this. Mm-hmm. And I like that it's also a transition because before in number one, he was more like, oh, I'm, you know, whatever America wants, America gets for me. Then the second one, he starts questioning what that actually means. And then this one, he's more um, attuned to his own. Own, uh, you know, personal ideology on what is right and wrong. Yeah. Now, that's all good on paper, but at the same time, and I, I kind of want to ask you at the end of this, whose side you actually fell on if you had to pick a side. Ooh, I've been thinking about this. So, um, yes. we'll, we'll get to that at the end of when we're, when we're done with this one. But if you think about it, Cap's position is more authoritarian I think, and I might be butchering that as far as it is, but Mm -hmm. it's more um, he believes that he knows best or his moral compass is the one guiding light that should be sort of followed and or or him and his friends. Mm -hmm. Very American to not like the U.N. Right. Exactly. But also not (laughs) at this point, not liking America in a weird way. That's true. So it works from a narrative perspective in this film because we've been told and shown that Captain America is pretty much infallible. He's not making the same mistakes that Tony Stark is making. No, Um, but he is still a dude. Yeah, it, it, guy. yeah, he will eventually mess up one day, and yeah. it's a dangerous line of thought to just think that um, you are the end-all, be-all of, of moral fiber, even if you are. So, in the comic books and in this film, because two people cannot decide on uh, or have a discussion, things escalate and... A uh, big punch fest at the airport yeah. ensues. Which isn't even the height of them being fucking dumbasses. Okay. Like, it gets worse. That end fight is the... I, I, oh, I, do, do you want me to just dig in yeah, to what's just, wrong here? Just go dig. Okay, that fucking ending. Mm-hmm. These guys almost murder each other. Like... It looks for a second like they're going to like take each other's heads off. Like and the the villain just told them what his plan was, which was to tear them apart. And Tony still can't keep his fucking cool. Like arrest the guy, take a minute. Like I understand. I understand. You're upset. This guy killed my mom. I get it. You're upset. But someone who's fucking with you just told you why he showed you this video specifically to destroy the avengers he says that and tony still does it instead of talking to his friend the fuck well i will jump back into that moment in a second but i think you the point the point you bring up the whole movie no 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 it's okay the (laughs) the interesting thing about it and i think it's a i'm gonna i'm gonna explain to you now why i think that from a script and character point works for me Sure. Let's talk about Zemo. Yeah. One of the best villains, I think, in the MCU, who is super underplayed on purpose and 
who wins. He's very good. And his, his plot is convoluted, and he's the catalyst for a lot of different things, such as um, the whole plot of Black Panther, as we'll, as we'll get into once we get to mm-hmm. touch on that film. But, like, him as a character, I really, really enjoy. He is a product of the Avengers messing up. Yes. He is a paramilitary person from Sokovia mm-hmm. who who got his family away. He thought they'd be safe enough out of the city because he just thought that the Avengers would be fighting a bunch of robots there. Turns out that the robots decided to drop the city, killing his family. And there's that heartbreaking sort of scene where he's like, you think he's just getting messages from his wife, but it turns yeah, out like it's, it's one message. Out, it's the one message. Because she's dead. Yeah. Um. So he figures out this whole plot to get Bucky out of hiding. And get all three of them, Captain America, Iron Man, and Winter Soldier in a room. And he's so sure the rage would tear them apart and and sort of from a from a psychological warfare perspective. Here's my question. Mm-hmm. How the hell did he find out about any of this shit in the first place? He's just some guy from Europe. He's <laughs> like, my f- I love my family. Also, I know the darkest secret about the biggest superhero on the planet. Well, here's the deal. I know he had to do work, but how do you even know to do the work? Well, it's in the movie. No, it's not. It is. It, so, what? How does he I'm get to a you. point? Ah! I'm going to tell you. <laughs> it makes so, me so mad. So he goes, <clears throat> he, he, we already understand that he has somewhat of a military training. Sure. So he has connections in that sort of world. He then goes, the first time we see Zemo is when he pretends to hit the curb outside of that guy's apartment. And then he yeah. tortures him in the basement uh, with the uh, hanging him upside down in the tub because he knows he's a Hydra agent that has control over, uh, he needs a mission report of when Howard Stark died. But why would he even assume Howard Stark was killed other, any way other than what was reported? Why would he think that? Hmm. Why would he ever assume that someone who died decades before in a car crash, and that was the only way that people publicly knew about it, why would some guy jump to needing that information? Why? My guess is this, is that he's looking literally left and right for any sort of way to to discredit or tarnish the Avengers and he stumbles upon this thing that is bigger than what because because what he's doing right there is he's looking for a connection to Captain America that's what he's doing there's no there's Mm -hmm. no other explanation other than looking for that Um, but they start with him asking for those specific date mission reports which to me is too big of a of a leap a jump from not knowing anything to finding out the secret that even Tony doesn't know you know what I mean? Like you could be onto a, a plot hole there. I'm trying. You know what I'm guessing? And and I because this movie is surprisingly tight with that sort of stuff. Yeah. If that is a hole in it, uh, I'm wondering if it's in one of those sort of like there's a, there's a whole section between the 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 airport scene and the final fight in Siberia where it's like Tony in a helicopter getting info dumped by his robotic secretary. Like <laughs> yes. it's like there's just a ton of shit going down the list about who Zemo is, what he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if there's a sentence or something in there. There has to be something that would make him even think he could find something through Hydra to find with them because otherwise like being in the military everybody like, a lot of people in the military right i don't see my cousins showing up in this <laughs> where's my cousin anthony <laughs> he's not do he's not finding out government secrets and destroying superheroes just because he can like i mean <laughs> you know yeah what i mean but like i i just like just being in the military isn't enough to have access 
to even the idea that somebody could have killed the Starks. Right. Because if it was ever rumored that they were murdered, Tony would have already been on this for years. Yeah. And he has more resources than some guy who lost his wife and kid. You know what I mean? Sure, but he also is not willing to like torture Hydra agents and shit to get it. But th- but I think he is. He was willing to kill Captain America because of it. I'm not <laughs> defending the sort of guys not talking to each other trope. What I will defend is I have been in situations, and again, not to the point of physical altercation, but to the point where logic and reason goes out the window when dealing with someone I am in conflict with. And I sure. literally like like to the point where it's scary the things you say and the volume at which you say them. Yes. So, But like if you found out that a friend of a friend had killed someone in your family, would you be willing to murder your friend to then murder that other person? That's a real loaded question, Julia. I mean, I know, but like, I'm like, look, I understand the anger towards Bucky, but I don't understand the like, you're the only thing in my way. He's still your friend that didn't do anything except not tell you, but like, get over it. You're in your 50s. <laughs> you're <a> fucking baby. <laughs> I also think, and uh, th- that we're, we're using the term like, oh, he's going to murder Captain America. He's good. They're going to murder each other. Die in combat. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> no, 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 no. Murder. What I'm saying murder. is they, he, they never get to the, like, there's only one moment. And actually it's Captain America that almost kind of murders Tony Stark because it's just, yeah. an, what I like about this thing is it's a steady escalation of non-communication that leads to more and more violence that's basically what what this entire film is and by the time we get to that three-person fight scene i don't think anyone is trying to murder anybody until and actually i don't even know if Mm -hmm. it's the same as sort of in the new star wars movie with luke and um kylo ren yeah he has a moment of weakness and he's like whoa what the fuck am i doing cap has that sort of same moment i think up till that point they are trying to uh, uh, disable or or restrain or just stop the other person because especially there's a smaller moment too when when uh, after the tape gets shown and uh, uh, Tony asks Steve he's like did you know and he said yes and now so it's like these two friends Iron Man and Captain America that I mean if you if you look at the friendships Steve and Bucky are stronger than Steve and Tony I mean obviously for sure so then to have that sort of betrayal I get I get the escalation of emotions is it logical does it make sense in a hey let's sit down and figure out what this is no does it feel real and feel sort of more important and weighty than a lot of these superhero fights do i would say yes fair and while i do i would like to concede the fact and please write us in at only movie podcast at gmail.com if you know the answer to this or not um because we're not going to watch these movies again for a little bit i uh, will tell you i watched this one twice did you in this rewatching yes <laughs> i went back and watched it again i was like no i need to i need to look I need to solidify these opinions. All right, I'm well, going to be a bitch about it. Well, no, no, no. That's and I appreciate the research. So, so let's just say this then. I, I then concede to the beginnings of Zemo's machinations as being weak sauce, mm-hmm. and and a and a. <laughs> oh God, scri- I haven't heard this term weak sauce in so long. There you go. Uh, and 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 a. Oh a um a script convenience and that's not good if you if you're trying to build a story with the amount of weight that i think this thing's trying to hold i think you kind of need your 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 bedrock your foundation to be as solid as humanly possible yeah now this gets into this gets into a weird thing for me and i know we want to talk about a couple other things other than just this in this film yes but one of the things to me is this is one of my favorites because 
I like the fact that every one of the characters has their own agency in the entirety of this. You can look at uh, Black Widow, how she sort of flip flops a little bit back and forth because she does care about. Actually, she cares about, I think, Captain America more. Yeah, she's the only one making any sense in this movie. <laughs> yeah, and she and she everybody she plays, else is being an idiot. What's funny? I think in the comic books, uh, Spider Man's a bigger part of this, and Spider Man is the oh, okay. first person that Tony uh, decides he's, that that he's going to conscript. Adorable. Oh yeah, Tom Holland. We'll get to that. What? Let's. I mean, but this is where we met him. This is where they were like, "Here's your new Spider Man," and I was just like, "Who is this little gem?" He's a delight, and the, he got delight. the role actually by him and Robert Downey Jr. just doing that bedroom scene together in a, in a room. Oh, nice. And then everyone's like, "Yep, this this is it." Yep. There he is. Yeah, uh, he's great. He's also like a gymnast and can do a bunch of flips. Uh, but the introduction of Spider-Man and the fact that Spider-Man is even in this film is a is a it's a it's a weird little corporate blessing that I never thought we'd have because Sony still owns Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And then when Sony's last two Spider-Man films, they were literally just making to hold on to the license from when Marvel was hurting and sold them the license. And we got the Tobey Maguire movies out of it. So that's good. That's like the joke in the in the newest season of Arrested Development that they had to keep the Fantastic Four so they just made a shitty spin-off. That's literally what Sony did and it's it's actually in some of the it's in some of those remember those leaked uh Sony emails from a while ago? Oh, uh-huh. It's in there. So Oh, damn. And and the Andrew Garfield, while he's of okay Spider-Man, those films are hot garbage. I didn't see them. Oh, don't. Please don't. Just don't. No. I was fine with Tobey Maguire, and I'm fine with Tom Holland. Tobey Maguire, the first two films are great, and the third one is problematic at, at, at best. Oh, let's not. I mean, let's yeah. not. Yeah. Um, so Spider-Man being introduced here, I was so happy that it happened because in the comics, he was a huge part of it. In fact, when it was more about like revealing secret identities when it was in the comics, because no one in the actual MCU really has a secret identity other than Peter Parker. I guess it makes sense though. He's a kid. Yeah. No, no. It makes total sense. It'd fuck up his life more than others. Yeah. I'm glad that they don't have a lot of secret identity shit because I think that gets boring and and trite a lot of the times. Mm-hmm. So in this particular case, oh, sorry, the comics, Tony conscripts Peter and has him do this press conference and reveals in like Times Square that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. And then uh, bad things start happening to Peter where... I think, oh, uh, the kingpin assigns someone and uh, someone tries to assassinate Aunt May and almost does it. And then, like, Tony's not protecting his family correctly. And then uh. he realizes that Tony's being way more authoritarian. So he, like, switches sides and has to go on the run. Anyway, mm-hmm. I think Black Widow fills that role here because she's on one side of things. And then she, like an adult, realizes, wait, I might not be correct. And then sort of jumps onto the other one. So mm-hmm. it's I like that she fits that role. Spider-Man is literally just here, again, because it's awesome. But also <laughs> because uh, Sony wants wants to get in on a little bit of that MCU money uh, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, I love the Scarlet Witch plot. When she first shows up, I was I was like, okay, whatever. And I was also, which brings back to that question I asked you about the X-Men, mm-hmm. was like, wh- what differentiates her from, from like, she, it's, she seems like a mutant, but they did it to her. So then I guess it doesn't, like the twins seem like more like X-Men than Well, Avengers. it's interesting because they are mutants in the comics. Yeah, oh, makes sense. I yeah. mean, because what they're doing is mutant stuff. But anyway, so I was like fine with her at first and just like I, I wasn't like in love, but I wasn't, you know, she was just there. But then when she gets to actually fight in 
uh, the airport scene, yeah. I was like, oh, shit. She's the one I want to be. <laughs> like, her powers are the best powers. Right. And she gets to fight by just, like, gesturing. <laughs> like, I'm like, ooh, I want to fight by gesturing. <laughs> <laughs> and she's so powerful. So I love, 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 love the development that Scarlet Witch gets in this because it made her, a, like, a vital character to me where I, before was indifferent something that really made me like her arc of sort of you know how the avengers would have to treat her in the sense of like you know keeping her locked up in the really nice prison in avengers uh the avengers facility is she it's funny they're stopping crossbones that one of the villains uh rumlow from uh winter soldier uh, in Lagos, I think. And then Crossbones decides to try to blow up Captain America. Uh, Scarlet Witch grabs the explosion and Crossbones and throws him up in the air at, to try to get him away from people, but it blows out the side of a building. Yeah, which it, people were going to get blown up either way, so I don't know why people are so mad at her. But People don't think logically about this sort of shit. It doesn't like, it's I literally guess. like anybody who comes into your backyard and starts making explosions, whether it's like killing 10 people or a hundred, like it's a, the number doesn't matter. It's like you shouldn't be making explosions in Fair enough, But she didn't make the explosion. That's all. I, I mean, I understand that they're mad that, about the world policing thing. Is what it is. They're mad about crossing borders with uh, no uh, consequences and doing whatever the fuck they want. Yeah, That's yeah. what they're mad about. I, so I get it. I like that she goes from sort of being okay with it to then. Uh, Kind of in one thing when you're first introduced to Hawkeye and it's the Hawkeye vision fight, which is hilarious. Oh, that's uh, great, yeah. Uh, that she decides to then leave and go on to Cap's side. I like Vision sort of trying to come to terms with eight years ago or whatever, Tony Stark came out as Iron Man and the threats have just sort of continued and like how strength invites challenge because that's a big old mm-hmm. thing. Thor mentions it. When they're talking about how when they have the Tesseract and Avengers, and they're like it's signaling to the universe that they're ready for a, a new level of war. Yeah. And that's going to bring us to why Thanos is even doing probably all of his stuff, mm-hmm. uh, or at least why he's coming here in this order. Uh, what else? I like that they're not afraid to actually just have a couple throwaway uh, reasons why characters there mainly Hawkeye, Ant Man. Ant Man's funny because I feel like they just kidnapped him. Yeah, they did. Well, they. they... I know, I'm like, did he even know he what he was doing? Yeah. Uh, this movie does, and again, I know I've used this term before. I so much plate spinning. Yeah. How it still manages to structurally hold together and make me feel the most emotionally invested in either of these characters of Tony Stark and Iron Man uh, is, I think, an amazing feat. By the way, I I know it sounds like I'm mostly mad at Tony. Captain America is also being a thick idiot. (laughs) They're both being idiots. Like, and they should have talked in the first, like, before they even get to there, they really should have had a conversation in the first place about why... Cap thought Bucky was innocent in the first place because if they had finished that conversation instead of getting mad they could have like told told the right people and and dealt with it. Well thank God T'Challa was there right? Oh like, well but then he he's the saving grace of all the men in this universe that he at the end is like I, I will not let that be who I am but also somebody like he needs to talk to them too, but he's busy sneaking around. <laughs> well, I mean, Wakanda. It makes sense of what Wakanda is and why he's there. And if my and if his father got killed at a UN meeting of Wakanda's first sort of like, hey, we're here, sort of like yeah, type of yeah, thing, yeah. and like they want the accord signed, etc. I love how T'Challa, 
just does whatever the fuck he wants, and it seems to be working out for the benefit of everybody. So in the beginning, he's hunting Bucky, right? Yeah. He's hunting Bucky, and he tries to kill Bucky for killing his father because Zemo made that sort of look like that would happen. Also, uh, wait, I don't know what the point of the Bucky mask was for Zemo because he already looks so much like Bucky. <laughs> he could have oh, just I put don't a know. wig I on. I mean, I'm sure it was he just He looks a- so much. That actor looks so similar to Sebastian Stan <laughs> that when I first saw it, I was like... Why would they cast someone that looks so much like him and then say he wore a mask? Interesting. I don't anyway, know. Anyway, that's a distraction for me is I'm like, yeah, you could easily think that was him if you just put like a, an arm on and long hair. <laughs> well, that was I, a side note, but it bothers me. And I had to. I've it. never noticed. <laughs> I'm going to have to look at pictures of them again because I've never noticed that. They are similar looking. Uh, but so but when he does that, he then basically once they kidnap. Once, once I kidnap, once the government gets a hold of the Winter Soldier, mm-hmm. T'Challa's going along with it, being playing ball. Yeah. Uh, and then he wants to take him back, obviously, to uh, Wakanda for some justice. And then once he gets broken out by, the, you know, the Red Ledger or whatever, uh, the, all the, the words being read by Zemo, he kind of falls back to the wayside and kind of helps Iron Man only because Bucky is on Cap's side. Yeah, yeah, and I like that. Like, there's a part I forget. It might have been between Hawkeye and and Black Panther because they all at the airport scene they all get a fight. So we haven't met. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like, I don't care. Like, he's yeah. just like, yeah, okay. He's not here to be part of it. No, he's, de- he's doing his own thing, and all these idiots keep showing up. And then in the third act, he literally does what a good sneaky, uh, you know, uh, superhero should do, and finds out what's actually going on. Sees yeah. Zemo's trying to get away. Hears Zemo's confession, and then goes and gets him. Also, doesn't kill him. I've watched Rage consume these two men. I'm not going to let it consume me. Uh, T'Challa. That, Shalia, is why I think I like the rage and the sort of stupidity that Tony and and Steve have in this film. I think because I've, of what it leads to. The Avengers are ripped apart, yes. But the person who did it is brought to justice and done so justly and in an adult and fair manner. And I think if T'Challa and that whole plot didn't happen and like Zemo just got away and like, ha ha ha, that's when yeah. I would really fall into the problems. I think that you you've described Yeah. because then the, the film itself would be problematic where I think the actions of a lot of the main characters are problematic. I think it's to further the story. My complaint is more that men are problematic, <laughs> but I mean, T'Challa isn't in this case. T'Challa no, is, he's, he's the not. one that is not. Okay, white guys are the problem. Sure. In this, in this particular in this film, a 100%. They're the problem. There's no question about that. Uh, one thing, oh, sorry, did you have something else there? We can't just talk about this movie. No, 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 we do need to move on. I've got some other issues. But so you want to speed round issues and move on? Peggy's niece. Peggy's niece. Yeah, Sharon, Sharon, Agent 13 is not given enough. If you're going to write Cap a love interest, don't make it the niece of the woman he loved. That's a real creepy leftover from the comics, uh, sadly. Oh, Barfzilla. Disgusting. <laughs> creepy old man. <laughs> the creepy old man and some boring girl. Peggy's Peggy's death, actually, in this movie and the funeral and like when Steve hears about it on the phone right after meeting with General Ross and all that stuff like that actually still gets me a little bit in the feels like I, I always am like, fuck, that's super heavy. And then uh, when Sharon's eulogy uh, comes up, the uh, many people have said it sounds like she's just eulogizing straight to Steve. Yes. And that is that is a, a script problem. She is not given enough to do. I think I give it a bit of a pass because in the comics, again, this is not an excuse for a film. Films need to stand on their own. 
I think why I don't think about it in that vein is that I have the weird sort of backstory in my head for Sharon, Agent 13. Uh And that's something that if they wanted to include her rather than just having a thing of people like me being like, oh, there's Agent 13. They should have actually developed her more. Or if you're going to keep the creepy time traveling, loving the niece of a thing or whatever, you need to discuss that more. Yeah. So that's it is problematic. Uh, The other thing. Yeah. uh, Oh, no, I just have one more good thing in my notes. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. great. No, that's okay. Good thing. Go. The last thing is Rhodey. Yes. Oh. And it's not good that he gets injured. It's The good thing is sort of twofold. One, Vision is not infallible. Another Tony mistake. Mm-hmm. Two, uh, well, actually kind of another Avengers mistake, really. And two, Rhodes getting so irreparably damaged is shows that this is the first time really in this universe that a main character has legitimate consequences. Yeah, absolutely. Um, That was my last thing on this one because we do have to move on. We do have to move on. Can I ask a question? Sure. Why? I uh, Okay, I understand that Captain America is the lead in this, but to me this feels like an Avengers movie that they snuck in as a Captain America movie. I think because they had so many th- stories on the docket that they wanted to tell, they were mm-hmm. going there was talks of making this a two-parter, one with from uh, Steve's perspective and one from Tony's perspective. Oh shit. Uh but then I think I honestly I think this comes down to a producerial and scheduling uh, a disappearance of Eleanor Rigby if you will. Yeah, yes. Ooh. Uh I think that's sort of why got, that got played it. out because in got why it, it was a Captain America film because rather than make another Avengers film they want to end their phases with Avengers films uh so this is like an Avengers 2.5 in a weird way yeah yeah um and also before we move on Shalia whose side am I on yes I think I'm even though I want to punch Tony in the face I'm on the side of the accords so I'm not on Tony's side I'm I feel like I'm on Black Widow's side She's the only point of view that I agree with where it's like, like she understands the need for the accords, but she also is like not going to fuck up people's lives over smaller, you know, like she's willing to not totally follow the rules. Right. There can't just be people that decide what they want for everyone. Yeah. With no consequences. That's how I feel. Whose side are you on? I think I am too on Tony's or to the point of a little bit of Black Widow's side or more of the mm-hmm. uh, accords, because I think as we're sort of seeing even in our day to day real world lives, um, sometimes maybe you just shouldn't put one person who thinks they know the best thing. Let them do all the stuff they yeah. want to do. Well, because here's the thing. Uh, I mean, and I've mentioned this before. If you know any World War II vets, you don't want to let them be in charge of anything. <laughs> like, my grandpa's pretty progressive, but he's still, like, racist as shit. Wouldn't vote because he was like, well, I can't vote for Hillary because she's a woman. And I don't like Donald Trump, so I just won't vote. That's how much he doesn't want women in charge. So, like, yeah. I don't trust Captain America. <laughs> just for being an old, like, Long Island World War II vet. <laughs> hey, he's from Brooklyn. All right. Uh, but <laughs> before we leave this, I will say I was doing a little side research while we were talking. Great. I've been scratching my dog's butt. So same thing. That's a different kind of research. Same uh, thing. There is a thing on a, on a forum that I'm reading about Zemo's plan because a lot of people have a problem with oh, it. Oh, OK, good. Uh, and it says here that uh, there's multiple times when in his in Zemo's sort of and I will say this straight up sort of forgettable monologues. Mm-hmm. He talks about how he studied them for 
for years and then came to know them intimately. Yes. And then when Black Widow dumped all of the S.H.I.E.L.D. and HYDRA secrets onto the internet at the end of Captain America the Winter Soldier, he had the knowledge he needed to get his revenge. Uh... So, I mean, it kind of explains it, but it's also still kind of throwaway. I don't know. I, I could go either way. Okay. But I just wanted to make sure that we didn't leave listeners hanging with that. Great. Um, and I would say, ooh, the, the lesson, we have so much crap to do with these movies. The, oh my God. The lesson in this film, I think, is uh, our heroes are fallible and consequences are real. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. That's, <laughs> I think that's what it is. Yeah, that these guys aren't perfect. Let's move on to a lighter fare. A, a sorbet? Dr. Strange. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is it dessert time? You're just it's thinking about dessert. I, God, I don't have anything good to eat in the house, and I know it. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Dr. Strange. Directed by Scott Derrickson. Um, I... Uh, I have a complicated relationship with Doctor Strange. What did you think about Doctor Strange upon revisiting? <sighs> upon revisiting, I made myself pay closer attention than the first time because um, I just have a hard time connecting with it mm-hmm. because I love Benedict Cumberbatch so much <laughs> and his American accent is infuriating. Aww. And it makes me sad because I'm like, but but you're you. <laughs> like, <laughs> you should be able to do this. <laughs> like, um, so that's hard. But also the visuals of it, while very cool, there's so much that's not really happening going like it's hard to connect with on a like human level to some extent with how much weird visual trickery is happening constantly. Okay. It ma- that's for me. It makes it hard for me to totally get absorbed because I'm like, whoa, everything's moving around. Like, <laughs> right. The cast is a little too all-starry too. For me. <laughs> oh, wait, are, are they too good? <laughs> no, they're not too good at all. Uh, they're a bunch of actors whose body of work I absolutely love doing a kind of phone it in <laughs> job compared to what they usually do. Sure. Like, it's just a bunch of fantastic people getting a paycheck. <laughs> like, and that makes me sad <laughs> to watch. So I don't know. I, I I have a hard time with it. That's fair. I felt much like you uh, the first time I watched it. I think it was problematic. I think it out of all of the Marvel films, it was the most samey we had seen and not from visuals. The visuals, I think... That's where I kind of uh, falter from from what you just said. I think that they are fantastical enough to keep me interested in an otherwise benign plot we've seen three times with Tony Stark before. True. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think phase three should be known as when Marvel woke up to the fact that villains are people, too, uh, for the mm-hmm. most part. And I mean, if you go to Zemo from Civil War, he definitely had a, a, a driving force and a reasoning. It's convoluted, but it's there here. You have um, Cassilius. Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, which basically in this film, he's not wrong either. No, he's not. He has an ideology that is problematic that he wants to take his god Dormammu that will then integrate everything into one being. Therefore, it will be perfect harmony and then everything will be fine because it's literally just one thing. That concept is something I I would imagine certain people would find peaceful um, (laughs) in a weird way. It's weird, but in like an awkward side half reality, it makes sense. Oneness is like a thing in a lot of religion. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So he has a good point of view for a villain in that point and to the point where Tilda Swinton's the ancient one uh, is a hypocrite. Yeah. 
And actually, that's one of the things, even though I think I enjoyed watching the film more this time than I did the last time, the hypocrisy of the ancient one and the and, and then to that level, the hypocrisy of the storyline in Doctor Strange is hilarious. So Doctor Strange is the entire movie mm -hmm. is being punished for thinking he is special. Yes. Okay. So he's being a cocky doctor. He's doing whatever. He crashes the car. Side note, those things in the car when he's like, what are my next uh, operation thing? And they're like, well, we have this pilot who does this with his back or, oh, da, 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 da. Everyone thought those were like tie-ins to the MCU. And I think maybe they were supposed to be at one point. Oh, no. Because that takes place a couple years before a couple different things. The timeline mm -hmm. of this thing is entirely wonky. And a 35-year-old Air Force pilot broke its back in an experimental suit. You think it could be Rhodey from falling from Civil War, but it takes place too soon. Yeah. I think it's probably they were probably trying to reference that scene in Iron Man 2 when Justin Hammer shows in the meeting the videos and Tony hacks oh. it and the guy spins his back. Yeah. I think that's what it's supposed to be. And I think the woman who got hit by lightning with the electrical chip is supposed to be Carol Danvers, Miss Marvel or Captain Marvel, but I don't oh. know. I don't know if I think the story has probably changed enough by this point where it won't be. No, I'll let you have it. Anyway, thank you. Um <laughs> So we're told the entire time as he's crippling himself financially to try to heal himself and like people are like, this isn't all about you. You're not that special. Like, you know, da 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 like, like the, the message of the film is supposed to be humility. And then he gets magical powers. Down to the ancient one being like in the secret when she's like dying or whatever. It's not about you. But it is. It's Doctor Strange. The whole <laughs> thing is about him. Yes. And so... That hypocrisy tied with actually the ancient one siphoning dark dimension Dormammu magic to maintain youth so she can continue on to fight Dormammu. I mean, there's a whole weird thing about that. It's just this is a movie of hypocrisy. Now, there is a sort of philosophical way of thinking where that is fine. Like the greater good is all that matters. But then it comes into, well, whose greater good is what and blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. I just think this movie's moral center is the most skewed and not clear because it keeps contradicting itself and not in a way that's like Civil War does when like there's two ideologies that are batting back and forth that you can sort of see. Yeah. In fact, the only thing that I can really see, weirdly enough, and this might say a little bit more about my psyche, is I can, even though I don't like the idea, but out of all the ideas presented, Cassilius probably, if Dormammu wasn't a totally evil thing, could be the best option. Right? I just, yeah, he's such a douche, and then he gets to be a magic douche, <laughs> and it's it's hard to to then be like oh what a selfless he's so selfless like no he's not really he's trying to prove that he can win he does have a big cool selfless act at the end mm-hmm with with sort of lo locking himself in with Dormammu, which side note, if I want, I feel like I just shat on this movie real hard. I think uh, that's fine. <laughs> I think, well, no, I think that the from a script writing perspective, the end is super clever. The fact that um, the time does not exist, yeah, is to introduce time to a timeless entity that would then be confused, and he was basically going to sacrifice himself to die over and over again to trap that entity in time, therefore not being able to take the Earth. Yes, it didn't end with a punch fest. It ended with Dormammu. I've come to bargain. Yeah. That's a Doctor Strange move from the comics that I want to see. That's clever. Okay. And yeah. it's it's not just a dude punching his way out of a problem, mm -hmm. uh, which is in a rare, rare form in these films. It so, is. It is. I really dug that. And I will say 
not so Tony Stark doesn't seem to he like learns a thing, but then he's still kind of a douche. Yes, I don't think at at the end of this movie, uh, Stephen Strange isn't a douche anymore. Okay, yeah, by the end, fair. That doesn't take away from the fact that the movie is telling him that the lesson is that you're not special. By the way, you're super special. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He does have the character growth in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a couple questions. Okay. One, where are all the Avengers while all this shit is going on? Answer, when Wong shows him the um, Eye of Agamotto, uh, when they're talking about the three, the Hong Kong, the London, and the New York um, mm-hmm. sanctums that keep the planet safe, he says, while the Avengers protect the world from physical threats, we protect the world from magical ones. Yes. So they want says- to keep, they want to keep, they don't, in the comics, it's a little more clear, like they don't want the Avengers or outside people other than people that know this, that magic exists to keep okay. using magic. Like they just, because it's going to, what, what would Tony Stark do with magic? Like, True. <laughs> so they just like don't they don't involve no they they again it's another one like they're almost like wakanda in that way where they're like we just need to keep it as as simple uh, you know as possible okay so it's not even that there's like an a, like an agreement or something it's just that they don't tell them about it right at this at this point in the story at this point in the story yes that makes sense another question is the address of the is it Sanctum Sanctorum? Yes, is that what yeah, it is? Yeah, yeah. Is the address, is that the real address from the comic? Yes. Is Doctor Strange supposed to be like Sherlock Holmes, but an American version? I, I think probably a little and bit. And is that why Benedict Cumberbatch was cast in this? Is because casting directors are like... They just need proof from something else all the time. Maybe. I, I, well, I, 100% I will agree with that as being a major problem. Because the, the way he speaks doesn't justify. Yeah, I know. Um, an American accent. I, I don't know the actual written origins of Doctor Strange, but I can mm-hmm. see the similarities to a Sherlock Holmes. He is a reclusive, mysterious man who lives in a city on a very specific small street. Yeah, it's like... And the numbers, it's like... 177A. Yeah, 177A Bleecker Street. I was like, very close to 221B Baker Street. (laughs) Look, I got to say, comic book writers, especially in the 60s, 70s, when it's just drugs, 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 uh, they were ripping (laughs) everything off from everybody. Well, also, Sherlock Holmes is like almost like... It's such a classic in our culture that like it's almost like being like oh yeah they referenced like greek mythology like it's that like sherlock holmes is that level of a reference but i also was like oh that's why they cast him (laughs) maybe i mean look i i picture that if there's sherlock holmes references that came from like them just being like okay wait what if like sherlock holmes was like a wizard and uh, he fought the devil. And you're like, great, cool. love it. But make that yeah. comic book. Draw a bunch of weird concentric circles and bright primary colors yeah. and some pastels. And there we go. Get to it. So I think you're onto something with that. And then now I 100% agree that uh, a lot of times casting directors will be like, well, this person did this. So we know this will work. It's so silly if you really pay attention to how much people are just cast as the same thing over and over again. It's ridiculous. But I, do you think he's a good Doctor Strange, though? I don't know enough about Doctor Strange to have an opinion about whether he's a good Doctor Strange. I think he is. I've read enough of the books to sort of get an idea of who Doctor who Stephen Strange is. Mm-hmm. I think what you've stumbled upon, though, is 
I think the similarities between him and Sherlock Holmes are from earlier than when the casting directors, I, like for instance, I don't think the current day casting directors are like Stephen Strange is basically like Sherlock Holmes. I don't think no. they did that. I think that they saw the same similarities that you did, but it's kind of a bit more on under the surface sort of subconsciously level. And we're like, Oh, Benedict Cumberbatch would be great for that. Like that's yeah. what I think it felt. I'm surprised that he did this movie. I'm not. I'm sure the paycheck was gross. I know, but his schedule is insane. I don't even know how they got him in Infinity War. Because you know they definitely filmed those like after scenes with Thor uh, at the same time that they filmed all of his scenes for Thor Ragnarok. Oh, yeah, yeah. They shoved it, that shit in. Like, there's no way. He, they, he was there for... That was one shoot. Because, like, Sherlock is... De- like, every season has been delayed by, like, five years because his schedule is so nuts. Like, yeah. It's... I don't know how they got him to do it. Paycheck or no. Because he's, he's not hard up for cash. <laughs> no. I think, to be honest, I would want to, if I was an actor, be involved in this. I could see why one Fair. wouldn't want to be. But, like, it's some of the most consistent paycheck work you'll get that hopefully then you can, outside of us, like a real long-going series. I mean, Sherlock is yeah. that, too. But, like... It's, look, he's not Olivia Benson. <laughs> Law and Order SVU. But, at the same time, I think... I don't know. I think... You want to be a cool ass wizard who lives in New York City and fights like the devil? Like that, that's kind that's and pretty cool. And in a in a property that has proven that they can make that not stupid. Yeah. I just look, it's hard for me as a Sherlock fan that the two leads from Sherlock have bad American accents. Because I love them so much. And their accents are so bad. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me so sad. Well, you know what doesn't have an accent, but was the best sort of way I think this movie could have handled it? Hmm. His cape. Oh. The cape of levitation. Does is, it talk usually? No, but they, <laughs> oh, turned, they turned it into a sentient thing that's basically like Aladdin's fucking magic carpet. Yeah, but and with less sass. Yeah, it, it's pretty sassy. The carpet's sassy. better. No, the carpet's still better. I will throw them in a cage match. We'll see what happens. Carpet will win. <laughs> but I really like that. I think that was super fun. Uh, I did enjoy that. Uh, it's like, it's the only lighthearted thing in this entire movie. That's what I think is just kind of hard. It's not a light. There's nothing lighthearted about it. It's a very stabby movie. Yeah. A lot of stabbing. A lot of stabbing with mirrors from the mirror dimension. A lot of stabbing. Oh. Very serious actors. Yeah. Um. Uh. uh I'm going to butcher his name because I always do. Uh, Chai Twele uh, Ij- uh, Ijefor, uh who uh-huh. played Mordo. Uh, who's one of my absolute favorite actors. That man can play complex like very few people can. So good, yeah. Uh, the after credit scene, because he's a he's a villain in the comics, Mordo is. And it's I nice. wound up doing going on a little Google rabbit hole being like, what the hell's up with Doctor Strange? Yeah. And was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. That And that like people were uh, wondering, like thrown by him being a good guy at first. Yep. Which yeah. it was great. I think it's wonderful because there will be a Doctor Strange too, and to have the dichotomy now, the the actual clash that I find more interesting, the villain will be incorrect, kind of in my eyes more so than I think almost any other villain will be. Being like, look at all this hypocrisy, you idiots! You need to stop this. The check always comes due. Like that's that's going to be exciting for me, and I think there'll be more more stuff for me to sink my teeth into in the second one. I mean, uh, what's the what's the lesson i mean i see these are lessons that i actually don't agree with but i think this Uh is what it's actually trying to kind of 
say because it's the moral is kind of a snake eating its own tail sort of thing uh I, it's basically sometimes you need to bend the rules for the greater good uh yeah. but but i think if that's what the film is trying to say it fails because the entire time it tells you how bad bending the rules is. yeah <laughs> so so i think yeah. uh <laughs> i don't know what do you what do you think do you, do you have anything else? i i agree with that i i think it uh, undoes its own message yeah. within the movie. And so it's like, oh, I don't know what I walked away with because you contradicted yourself. Yeah. I think I think we just walk away with really cool visuals. Uh, the scene where he fights the astral plane with his body as... as um, as he's getting operated on, I think is uh, an amazing sort of well, cool that's scene. Sort of lighthearted. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> and then, uh, and then I think I think the Dormammu fight at the fight, not fight the Dormammu solution at the very end. Even though the Hong Kong thing with the backwards stuff is uh, a marvel of oh, that is CG. Cool. Yeah. Um, I think. Uh, oh, by the way, Dormammu is voiced also by Benedict Cumberbatch. I love him. See? Yeah. <laughs> right. Um. Can I complain about something for a second? Please. Because she hasn't even come up. Rachel McAdams. Okay. Because they took a character. This uh, feels to me a little bit like what we talked about last time with the teenage years thing Mm -hmm. where they were like, look at the lady who's a doctor too. And they, they say one too many times that she's also a good doctor. Like they're trying to prove that she's a good doctor where I'm like, we can just assume. It's fine. Where I feel like they're like being woke, but they're not because they say it too many times. Fair. Where they're like, it like feels like them being like, I'm not a racist, but <laughs> like, wow. like they're like, like it, you know what I mean though? Like it feels like, it feels a little bit like they're like over justifying the idea that a woman could be a competent doctor. Okay. I, they I, throw I, in I, too many specifics where it's like, we, she works with him. It's fine. We get it. Okay. Like, okay. let her just be a doctor. You don't have to keep being like, well, I co-invented that with you. My name's on it, not your. Like, I'm like, I get. Yeah, she's a doctor, too. I didn't catch on to that. But again, I don't I'm not coming at it from that perspective. So I could totally see how that would have flown over my head. Well, because I know that we're bringing up the ladies. And then I so I've been extra watching the ladies to have an opinion. And as you should. Here's my question about Christine Palmer overall. Well, that's her name? Yeah. My best friend from high school's name is Chris Palmer. Oh, well, uh, close-ish. Yay. Um, other than that, other than the script failing the character there. Oh, I like her. How do you feel about her character and the use of her character in the film? I feel like she's very much a plot device for his growth, but she doesn't really have her own stuff going on. Rachel McAdams is charming and lovely, so you feel her personality is why that character is a character. Yeah, 100%. It's not written that way. I agree with that. She just is good at making you care about her character. God, this is actually, this might be a more sad thing than than a happy thing. (laughs) But like, at first, no, but it's good because we should talk about and think about these things. I liked the way they handled her outside of the fact that she is there just to move the hero along. Mm-hmm. She is used, though, to set up not not like in a um, in a pepper pot sort of way, I feel like in some of the Iron Man films, but in a in a weird like this is how adults deal with or then don't deal with things. And when Doctor Strange is going through all of the surgeries and everything, she's trying to stand by him and not even in a romantic sense like they they dated once and then like didn't because she couldn't take him um the 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 idea is that she watched him so long and then was like you know what you're being such a dick bye and you see him in that empty apartment he's literally lost his last friend and all of his money Mm -hmm. i think that's a powerful very adult moment i also like that she 
saves his life in a very hard and technical way. Yes. Uh, and I like the fact that they didn't just instantly make them fall in love right afterward. Yeah. I like that she goes and just kisses him on the cheek because this is a person that she and I, I think I credit a lot of this to Rachel McAdams. Like you said, she is a, a character that cares about this other character. And the movie mm-hmm. doesn't stay with her long enough because we're too busy fighting mirror wizards in alternate dimensions. Um, but the fact that Rachel McAdams does so much with the with the part of Christine Palmer. Uh, if it does take a village to raise a thing or create a create a film, yeah. she saves that character for me. Rachel McAdams does. Yeah, she fills out she fills that character and that part of the story out in a human way that, uh, in lesser hands, would have been a, a nothing character. Yeah, agreed. No, I'm glad I'm glad we touched on that before we jumped away because uh, the that is uh, I did want to talk about good old Christine. Christine. All right. So moving on. Are we moving on? We're moving on. Bye, Doctor Strange. Bye, Doctor Strange. Hello, Guardians of the Galaxy. Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 2. <laughs> Directed once again by James Gunn. Uh, Shalia. Yeah. This is the first one of our films that has an email attached to it. Read that email. I will. Here we go. So, so this email is actually from uh, a gentleman named Mihai from Romania. Whoa, hello. He says, when I watched Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 with my mom in the cinema, something extraordinary happened. The scene when Rocket comes out uh, at the end, he's talking about sort of like when he's like, and he took batteries that he didn't need, like at the the end of Rocket's Mm -hmm. journey. Uh, He says, it it made uh, my mom tear up, which I found interesting because she only does tear up at dramas. And she figured that we might be able to hold the answer as to why that would be in a silly comic book movie with an animated raccoon. Oh, uh, thank you, Mihai, once again for the uh, we touched on this very briefly on another episode, but I wanted to save the bulk of this for this one. I can tell you right now. OK, do it. I've only seen my dad cry three times and one of them was watching Homeward Bound, which is dogs with voiceover tracks, which is even sillier. Yeah. Sometimes something simple and silly is the best way to put a, a weighty emotional concept in because then you can your brain can digest it and you 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 like it and you're happy about the character and so then you can like open yourself up to something more emotional i i i 100 agree with that analogy i think that's i think it that's one of two parts of uh of the answer what's the other one <laughs> i think the other part of it is this movie and we'll talk about why this is true even though it's probably outside of Doctor Strange, the most weird and fantastical of all <laughs> Very of these weird. of all yes. of these films, mm-hmm. it also is the most human and relatable on an emotional level. For, out of all eighteen films, in my opinion, I think the relationships displayed in this movie are so close to real life, even though they're all aliens doing them. Mm-hmm. I think this is a film that can shock you with how much. You can relate to things. Rocket in particular is a damaged character, basically triggered when people make fun of him or accuse him. He goes into almost like a blind rage, uh, basically because he's been abused his entire life. Yeah. And he's self-destructive. He's worried that people will leave him consistently. So what's the safest way to protect yourself from that? Well, be a dick so no one has a chance to leave you because you'll never get close to anybody. Yeah. I know people like that. Mm -hmm. I feel like a ton of people know people that are self-destructive as a mode of of self-preservation 
observation. Yeah. And when you pair that sort of familiar sadness with an anthropomorphic, uh, as Peter Quill would call him, trash panda. Oh, a little that, trash panda. I've been calling my dog a trash panda. Oh. <laughs> uh, when you pair those things together, I, I think there is there's a powerful thing when it's familiar uh, to something you can relate to in your own relationships, in your own life. There's a powerful thing when animals are involved that can actually speak, like you said. Yeah. And I just think that I, I, the third thing is when you go see a movie called Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, you do not expect the level of emotional heartstring pulling that you will get here. Yeah. And you are you're you're not on like a solid footing of like preparedness for what you're going to get. Yeah, you're going in for goofs. You go for the goofs, but you come out crying. And mm-hmm. that is I think a, a marvelous feat of cinema and I think that's sort of those two reasons we've said uh, Mihai or why why your mom cried yeah so thank you for writing in thank you Shalia let's talk what what talk to me about Guardians 2 talk to me about your feelings Guardians 2 I liked it better on the rewatch like I didn't dislike it the first time mm-hmm. it felt goofier the first time around because it's the plot is a little more uh, outlandish than the than the first one. The happenstances that go on in the plot, yeah. yes, a hundred percent. Um but but yeah, I I mean I saw it in theaters, so this was really only the second time that I've watched it. Mm-hmm. And it's uh yeah, it hit home more. I love uh Nebula being like, I just wanted a sister. Yeah. Cause that is really fucked up that like she had like what was done to her is unthinkable. Mm-hmm. Like she was turned into a, a, a like a, a science project because her sister kept winning. Yeah, which is like such. I mean, I don't have sisters. I don't have any siblings, but I have people in my life with problems with their siblings, and like it's such a a like visceral comparison for what it's like to be competitive with siblings to be like when you're when you win i'm torn apart like that's 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 some real shit yeah it's 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 not great yeah it's it's fantastic the the interesting thing i find about the nebula gamora storyline is how it also ties in with every storyline in this entire movie this entire film is about parenting and about abuse yeah it is. And actually, there's. I, I would ask uh, you, Shalia, and any listener who mm-hmm. hasn't watched it, there's a beautiful video essay by uh, Lindsay Ellis, a woman who does film critique on YouTube about the complex feels of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. It's one of the most insightful, cool uh, half hour. It's a half hour long. It feels like five minutes. It's so good. So please. I will watch it. Everybody go check that out. Um, but something that she states and that I completely agree with is... Every character is is dealing with their issues with their parents, and a lot of them are abusive mentally or physically. We can go down the list. Peter is still dealing with the death of his mother and the fact that he did not basically touch her hand one last time before she died, and it's mm-hmm. a complex thing for a child to be going through, etc. He now meets his father, who was never there, but also you have the complexities of an abusive surrogate father in the in the 
in the vein of Yondu, who mm-hmm. literally beat him up and threatened to eat him his entire life. Um, you Then you have Gamora and Nebula, whose plight that you just laid out, Shalia, is all based on their surrogate father, Thanos, mm-hmm. abusing the shit out of them. You have Yondu himself, who himself is the product of abuse. Yeah. His parents selling him into slavery and having to fight and, and scrap and become the thing that he is today. Then you have the whole Guardians themselves parenting baby Groot. Yeah. And how all these broken people are coming together and in the beginning at least it seems they are are doing it well and correctly but there's still some tension obviously under the surface between Rocket and everybody Gamora and Peter and Rocket Drax is there a little bit more for comic relief this time around though he does some have some incredibly poignant moments he's very impressive <laughs> yeah right his conversations that he has with Mantis who I also really love yeah uh are so funny but so sad at the same time they're heartfelt um, it's such a it's a good movie the, and again ego abusing mantis i mean she literally raises her as a pet yeah like that's the that's a whole thing and then god this movie works on so many levels you want to talk about like toxic masculinity right like in, in general in films like this uh drax in this film, not necessarily the last film because his whole thing was like revenge for the death of his uh, wife and daughter. Yeah. This film is almost like with Drax, he is like the antithesis of toxic masculinity. Yeah. Because he is so he's only literal. He is he cannot be embarrassed. And therefore, there is no like gut reaction about masculinity and shit. He talks to Peter about the feelings he had when he first met his his wife and literally to the point not only that she was the most beautiful thing she'd ever seen because she wouldn't dance, but also (laughs) he's like he's like and it's it's played for laughs. But if you break down why he's saying he's saying it because he has no pretense and no, no, he's not embarrassed by a thing. He's like his nether regions were engorged. And then he's asking ego about his penis and he's doing all this weird that you you'd think. If you read the script, you'd be like, and you just pieces of it, you'd be like, that's just a dude being an idiotic dude. No, but it's, yeah, you're right. It Because he doesn't have that filter, he's just existing. Yeah. And like to the point where he, they give him great lines that sort of combat, like it's great because the frame and the type of character that Batista is playing is like the, mm-hmm. in, the opposite of what you'd normally see with a character like this. But I love what he's packing and leaving when the ship crashes and Peter's like, you worry too much. You're like an old woman. And he goes... Why? Because I'm wise. Yeah. Yeah. Shit. So Drax, I think his arc is not complex in this, but the reason why he is there, I think, is very important in the way he and Mantis sort of interact with one another. Hell, I even like, and this is a little bit more; it could be considered problematic, but I even like how he constantly calls her ugly, and then he justifies it by saying, "You're lucky. Beautiful people never know who to trust." Yeah, and I was like, "Fuck." That's like we've all seen that 30 Rock episode with John Hamm, right? Is that? Oh God, hooks crossed. <laughs> so I think I think um, I think Drax is a great answer in this film to that sort of toxic masculinity we see. And uh, let me ask you this before we get into it. How do you feel about Peter Quill as a character in this film as opposed to Guardians 1? Um, He is this like voice of the audience mm-hmm. and has gotten like cockier the second time around like anyone watching if they suddenly were like I'm a badass would, right, like, right, right. let it go to their head if they could like save save the universe uh and then yet again he's uh leveled and forced to deal with 
like his real his like core yeah. in a way that brings him back to a, a place where you like him still and he's he doesn't become out of control like the fact that his dad's name is literally ego like he's half ego yeah <laughs> like yeah and and could fall victim to it and decides not to because he cares about people in his life like it's very to the point <laughs> like it is yeah i saw this movie three times in the theater i think i've seen it five times total in my life Great. Uh, it's one of my faves. It's the way they handle Peter in this one goes beyond for me. Like audience, um, the first the first Guardians, he's purely audience surrogate. Yeah. This film, all of those traits, whenever he displays them, are bad, and it, and the movie portrays them as bad. When he and Rocket are fighting over piloting the ship through the thing, and that causes it to crash. Mm-hmm. When he and Gamora, when he's giving like the examples that like I feel like. A lot of like, I don't know, like neckbeard fanboy type people would do where he's yelling at Gamora in Cheers references. And he's like, that's why the show would get zero rating. And she's like, I I don't know what Cheers is. It's like, yeah, that really that's not attractive. Uh, And like people wonder why they're not together, because honestly, both of them, for their own reasons, are not ready for a relationship. I think that's super healthy to show that. Uh, And even when he's dealing with um, you see him get lost in ego when. Ego's making valid points until he mentions the mother. Yeah. Because he loves his mother. And he, even when he's under his thrall, I love the moment when when Ego gives the full twist and talks about how he would not return to or if he returned to a fourth time, he feared he'd never leave. So he had to kill her. That's why he put the tumor in her brain. Yeah. And he, Peter just snaps out of it and lights the motherfucker up. Yeah. Not that it does anything, but that's a pure emotional moment where Peter like knows it goes beyond just like the weird, like, I don't know, like what people think a manly man hero kind of does. Yeah. And also ego i love a kurt russell is one of my favorite actors i love kurt russell uh escape from new york is the reason why i got into film and video they had him de-aged too they did another great de-aging fun fact about that de-aging shalia kurt russell has had the same makeup artist with him for i think 90 percent of his career 95 to 100 percent of that was i think mostly color correction was done to get wrinkles out yeah that's not cg that is makeup on his face. They did a great job. He looks great. Yeah. So Ego, I think it's hilarious that, and it's true because this is what a god lowercase g would probably do, would be like, oh man, I fell in love with this thing, but I'm too important. I need to kill this thing so it doesn't distract me from how important I am. Jesus. This is this movie is a parable for my fucking life. <laughs> <laughs> How so? What are you talking about? I, I don't know. I feel like if you break it down, I've been dumped for I, my what I'm doing is too important. You have to go. Oh, God, you've dated planets. I've dated a lot of planets. Sucked into their gravitational pull of yuck. Their their lower lowercase G. God. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think, God, this film is so loaded. Yeah. That's why I think on on a, a second viewing, I was like, holy shit, I like this even more. Like, because there's so much going on yeah. that, like, it sinks in more the more you watch it. And it it's it's great. I And also on a very silly minor, minor thing. But I love that they're like, 
here's a Zune so you can have endless music. Because then yeah. they're like, music, new soundtracks. It has, like, there, it, this could hold 300 songs and Peter's like 300, 300 songs. So silly. This soundtrack mm-hmm. is better than the first soundtrack in my opinion. You have Electric Light Orchestra, you have Sweet, you have Fleetwood Mac. Oh, Fleetwood Mac is so well used. I sang The Chain or I was listening to The Chain over and over again. It's used brilliantly. I've been singing it all week. Uh, we're in the same boat. Yeah. Um, the, the father and son Cat Stevens. I know it's been Shahir, the uh, uh, the 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 regular co-host here at the only podcast about movies, uh, gave that actually a lot of shit for the end of the movie because he says it's too overused. Uh, I don't care. I think it's perfect. No, I think I, it's I'm, yeah, I'm fine. With it, it works great. Um, God, there's so many good songs, even down to the actual uh, the Guardians Inferno, the original song that they had David Hasselhoff do for the credits. Oh, that's so funny. It's so good. It's or, or, great. Or as Gamora remembers him, Stardew Hasselfrau. Yeah. <laughs> is how, is how uh, she calls him. Um, oh, Zardew Hasselfrau. But this is the other thing. I, I know I just brought up David Hasselhoff and they play David Hasselhoff as a joke when he goes like, I tried to make the, the, the form that would suit you. And he turns into David Hasselhoff yeah. for a second. <laughs> but that's because there's a whole through line about a story Peter told Gamora when he was drunk about him talking about his father like lying to people saying he was this guy who was David Hasselhoff and still carrying a picture of him with him and he still does yeah I don't know there's there's that's some sad orphan shit hashtag sad orphan shit sad or that's like Annie (laughs) Annie's got that necklace and is like my parents have the other half (laughs) 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 and they're coming back from me (laughs) will they Will they? Annie, they died Um, in the fire. Spoiler alert. Oh, no, not spoiler alert for Annie. Sorry. I think, yeah, the audience is furious right now. Something I thought of watching it um, from our last episode that you had said, which I was like, oh, yep, they they use this well about um, Guardians being great with, like, cutaway humor yeah the whole opening sequence of this movie is a giant cutaway joke and it's yeah really fun like it's just Groot baby Groot dancing around while action that we don't have to care about is happening and I I think that's uh, I like it so much yeah it's so that shows a director that knows what matters and knows what doesn't in the film that they're making because yeah I bet you that fight looked cool but who gives a shit right no one needs to see that we get it they're doing stuff but like what we love is the characters so like let's watch group dance around and like everything in this fucking movie it works twofold we get cute baby group dancing around and every one of the guardians gets a parenting moment with him in the open yeah they're all trying to like save him or whatever gamora has the high, the nice hi like when he's when she waves and they wave back mm-hmm. um uh, Rocket gets him to spit out the bug, yeah. <laughs> and Drax like is doesn't want him to does that whole like sort of moving thing. So like the, the they introduce the theme in the joke in the opening. It's well done. That's some some layer cake shit. Also throughout the movie, I, I the willingness to sit in a joke <laughs> like the they just will let it go on and on and on, being like, no, you're wrong. Go. Try again. Like when he is like trying to go get the fin and yeah. keeps coming back wrong, that bit goes on forever. It's, yeah. it's like a full sketch on its own. Yeah. And then they do that again at the end with him pushing the button. Mm-hmm. Like 
I love how much time is committed. Like a good half hour of this movie is a sketch show. It's not even yeah. like, yeah. And the, even when they, that scene with the bomb, when he asks Peter to get tape, you just see Groot and Rocket sitting there and you hear the battle outside and, and Peter flying around asking for tape. Do you have tape? Yeah. <laughs> scotch tape? <laughs> sure. I don't have any scotch tape. It's super fun. Look, as a, as a daddy issue girl, I love having dad be an ego. Well, there's two. There's two abusive fathers in this. Yeah. Three, if you count Thanos, who's not really in it. But but the repercussions of his terrible fathering are are major. Yeah. And there's been some talk. Uh, I don't know if I subscribe to this either, but Yondu, his sacrifice, you know, in, well, starting with I'm Mary Poppins, y'all, but then ending with he may have been your father boy, but he ate your daddy. Yeah. Yondu did keep Peter when he found out that he was delivering children for ego to basically try to do something with and then eventually kill. Mm -hmm. And he lied to himself and his crew as to why he was protecting him throughout both movies. And that's sort of a it's what I like about Yondu in particular, because people were like, oh, so because he he saves Peter in the end that excuses years of abuse. And it was talking about like how abusers re redeeming abusers, which is a hard nut to crack a hard nut to crack yeah he feels more redeemed than i actually think he is because we don't have as the lifetime of experience that yondu and peter had together like the audience obviously doesn't have that mm -hmm. but also i just love it because it shows you that people can have complex relationships like it is not black and white it is not it is not just like this person is an abuser and therefore the worst human being intrinsically in the fibers of all of their core like there they are problems and they are they do awful shit but it's you know i don't know i i think it's it's good to have characters that make you question even can you redeem someone like that? And this movie yeah. does that. The funeral is super sad, even going back Weirdly to Weirdly emotional. Yeah, because you're getting the catharsis of all characters involved. You're getting Rocket, you're getting Gamora and Nebula, you're getting Peter dealing with his father, his real father, Yondu, or his fake, I don't know, his emotionally true father, Yondu. Yeah. And then even you get what Yondu always wanted was sort of the Ravager funeral. His surrogate family from before, yeah. Sakar, played by Sly Stallone. Um, Which should feel silly and somehow is like emotional. <laughs> Everything about that should feel stupid. Yeah. Being like, he got the funeral. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, that should be dumb. <laughs> yeah. But you're still like, oh, he got his funeral. <laughs> it's so good. And and his ashes formed the little arrow uh, flying mm -hmm. by. Um the fun fact about the Sly Stallone about Sakaar, mm -hmm. Peter Quill, Gamora, all of them in the comic books are not the original Guardians of the Galaxy. <gasps> I Googled this. Yeah. So, so I know what you're going to say. Go yeah. ahead. Do you want to say it? Say it. No, oh, that they're, they're uh, all of the people that get together after the funeral in the after credits are uh, references to the original Guardians. Yep. Yeah. yeah, and Yondu was a member of the original Guardians as well. Only he was like a big sort of, he was a Kree guy with a giant mohawk and a literal bow and arrow. Um, was the mohawk not useful? It, it didn't do the things that the, it does. In the, Yondu is the best like movie recreation of a comic book character like to mm -hmm. make it functional and fun that I've seen in a long time. But I love that they they gave that little wink to the old the old Guardians. I love that, that the talking robot head at that scene is voiced by Miley Cyrus. It's so weird. <laughs> That's great. I love it. Um, I feel like we've been heaping praise on this movie. Can we think of some stuff that we don't like about it? 
Stuff we don't. I can think of something if you want me to start. Go ahead, you start. Um, I think there's one or two times when sort of just two times where violence toward Mantis is just treated as a joke. Uh, once when Drax tricks her into getting Rocket. This one's a little less. Getting Rocket Mm -hmm. to bite her actually is like, yeah, go ahead, pet him. (laughs) Yeah, and then the second time being when they have that beautiful hero shot when uh, Ego is exploding and they all spins around and then for a laugh she like gets hit by something and then Drax is like, Mantis, look out! I'm like. Mm okay like yeah cool i guess like yeah. i was just i didn't need that like it's one of those things it's the it's the fact that it happens both there might be one other time of forgetting about it. it's it's adding it like if it happened once okay she's she's a she's an innocent uh sort of naive character this could happen yeah uh, but it but feels mean <laughs> it feels mean um and mean to rocket to use him in that yeah you ain't wrong he's that's adding to his problems yeah that's the kind of shit that's made rocket have intimacy issues <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's very 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 true people pulling shit like that the other thing this is something that i don't particularly have a problem with in my film but i can totally see people that do and maybe it's too fantastical so it doesn't matter i think this film has the biggest on-screen body count as far as people dying than any Marvel movie. Because of all the people they put outside of the spaceship? The people they put outside the spaceship. Which is very troubling. I'm guessing Rocket killed a bunch of Ravengers when they stormed the thing in the woods. Oh, uh uh-huh. And then Yondu and Rocket literally just killing everybody on a ship. That arrow is a terrifying way to die. Yeah, that's a very consequenceless weapon. You don't even have to be present. <laughs> like, Well, that's interesting, though. Like, Yondu doesn't even have to see it. Um, no, he, do- he just has to think about where it should go. And then it kills people. Uh, I think that we're supposed to think it's okay, and I kind of do think it's okay at that point, because all the people that Yondu was killing in that thing are bad. Yeah, like, they, they, they literally people. threw people into space. Yeah. The vacuum of space to die a horrible death. And they are basically space pirates. They're assholes. Yeah. So, I, I don't know. I think those are my two, that, my, those are my two could be issues. But mm-hmm. this film overall is pretty perfect in my eyes. What about, can you think of any badness? I mean, any, here's the thing. Any of my issues with it that I remembered from seeing it the first time we're absolutely gone on a second viewing. I don't know why. I think I know why. Why? Uh, because it's a bombastic, colorful adventure fest that you're expecting to be trivial. So therefore, you're put into a bit of a mindset when you see it. There's so much going on and so many characters and things going all over the place. And the fights are huge and explosive. And we haven't even talked about like the sovereign or like any of that shit oh, of like geez, space yeah. battles and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And when the planet fights back, like there's a lot going on. And I think a lot of people had sort of the sort of like, Meh, it's fun reaction the first time they saw it because they were trying to their brains were trying to keep up with what was actually happening like script wise story wise throughout it there's so much yeah because there's so much the undercurrent of all the actual important things kind of go over your head yeah in the second viewing because you're not worried about knowing what's happening you can focus more on the characters Mm -hmm. i like learning new things upon repeat viewing so i really appreciated that but i could i could see the opposite i mean because i remember my review of it my mom asking me how I liked it and me saying 
Oh, it was fun, but it was stupider than the first one. It comes off that way the first time. It's actually smarter. Yeah. But they do amp up some of the silly stuff. The whole thing's amped up. Yeah, it's all amped up. Yeah. So I guess, what's the film saying in your opinion? What's the lesson we got here? Oh, dads are complicated. Families are complicated. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right, right, right. Other oh, members right, of the other family. Way, yeah, yeah. Um, no, but family dynamics are complicated, and it's a constant... There's no quick fix. No. It's going to be a whole, a lifelong struggle and you can die without fixing it. But that's part of it. Yeah. And also your your family isn't defined by your blood, I think, is another sort of, mm-hmm. you know, you get the concept of families and sort of like, you know, broken people finding their way through the world through meeting and, and, and being with other broken people. Like I've always said, yeah. this is a sort of stupid adage for me, but it doesn't matter if you have baggage, as long as the person or people you're with, their baggage matches. Oh. <laughs> if that sort of makes sense. It totally makes sense. Uh, you just need the set. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I think that's really sort of what should be taken away from good old fashioned from good old fashioned guardians. Wow, yeah. Zoe, is that what you think? Ooh, a I don't little know meow. Everyone can hear you. Meow you're louder. Very mouthy. Sorry, everyone. That's my cat, Zoe, who you're <laughs> intimately familiar with by this point. Zoe. Zoe's telling us to move on, Shalia. Zoe's your producer, <laughs> giving yeah, you a little you... tap on the shoulder. She give, She's giving us the light. <laughs> she's giving us the light. We have. We had only one more minute on Guardians. <laughs> uh, Spider-Man Homecoming, directed by John Watts. Yes, and uh, look, I, it's a lo- I know a lot of people are involved with the writing and the whatever, but John Francis Daly wrote this movie. Yeah? Do you know who he is? No. He's uh, from Freaks and Geeks. He's Sam Weir. And from Whoa! Bones, from Bones, he's Sweets, and he also wrote the Horrible Bosses movies. Wow! He wrote the new remake of Vacation. Um, so he's doing work, is what you're he's telling. He's doing me. work, yeah, yeah, yeah. A tad prolific, this man. Yeah. I'm a fan. I can see that. Can you tell? Yeah. <laughs> I've had a crush on him since middle school. It's well, fine. we'll be he sure knows. to we'll be sure to tweet this episode at him. Uh, the fact that he hasn't blocked me on Twitter yet is astounding. <laughs> <laughs> Give it time. Anyway, John Francis Daly wrote uh, Spider-Man: Homecoming. Yes. along with other people who I can't name. <laughs> <laughs> well, this we talked a little bit too about how this is amazing that this film even happened due to Marvel and Sony's sort of back and forth, but then Mm -hmm. so this is a a sony movie that literally the entirety of from what i understand the production and everything was basically dictated by marvel marvel that was their sort of their terms that that it would be publicly sony but marvel has control over it to a point and then Mm -hmm. they could use iron man in this film yeah and then marvel could use spider-man in infinity war the use of iron man in this film is very redeeming after how mad i was at him during civil war speaking of fathers he needed this yeah for me he needed this (laughs) to get back to he's now he was in the shitter and now he's like back to zero yeah yeah yeah. we'll we'll get to tony i think there's some interesting things with tony we could talk about it now i guess he's gone full 180 at this point in his character arc like mm-hmm. it's interesting because all of the stuff he's telling peter not to do you know he's done because we've seen him do it like yeah what's the he has a line where he's like there's a gray area in between what i would do and what i wouldn't do stay in there don't do what i would do and definitely don't do what i wouldn't do there's a small yeah. gray area in the middle yeah. that's where you operate that's where you are <laughs> yeah. yeah uh well it works a couple different ways i like from a a, a tony stark story 
point of view, I think having Spider-Man or a Peter Parker or a younger person looking up to you and like putting you in that father role, I think does help you kind of become a bit more of an adult, Mm -hmm. even though he passes it off to Happy the entire time. But (laughs) uh, he can only mature so much. Of course. Give it. Yeah. Uh, But two is Spider-Man's suit Mm -hmm. has always been problematic for me in any of the either comics or or movies and not the look of the suit the function functionality well peter parker is a genius a scientific and tech genius he also somehow knows how to sew a very intricate suit out of lycra and other like it just never added up that peter would be able to make this intricate costume yeah and now, twofold. One, Tony Stark gives him an intricate costume. And two, we're, we're shown something new that we haven't seen before, making it very techy. Yes. Like, it's not spandex. It's like... It does things. It has a talking AI and, like, 600 web combinations and yeah. shit. It makes sense on how he can do things. I have a question. Sure. I didn't know that Peter was making web. Yes. I thought it came out of him because he's a spider. That was the Tobey Maguire films that did it for simplicity when Sam Raimi was doing the films. And it makes more sense. I, I kind of... Though I guess it would come out of his butt, so that's... I, yeah, see, it doesn't make sense. Uh, <laughs> I like that it's because he's smart, and I like that he... I like it too, but it threw me because I was like, what are, what are your spider powers exactly? <laughs> it also makes more sense like when he runs out of web or when like if the web shooters aren't on him, it makes him more vulnerable. He loses one of them and Ned, his friend in high school, actually mm-hmm. saves him from the shocker and that bus oh, fight yeah, scene yeah. in the back. Like I That kid is great. He is so, so good. He's fantastic. Uh Ned is one of my favorite additions to to this whole thing. He's see, now this is interesting. Uh he is a holdover from miles morales spider-man run do you know who miles morales is isn't miles morales the like afro-latino yes spider-man yeah i just saw a guy interviewed that wrote for it and was completely charmed by him miles morales takes over the mantle of spider-man in ultimate spider-man when peter parker dies and that he gets bit by another a different spider oh shit uh he has a slightly different uh abilities queens has some bug issues (laughs) get an exterminator to queens so while i do like the nods that this film does take to miles morales in fact donald glover's character of aaron davis he's actually a, a villain called the prowler oh there's a bunch of sort of hints to that when when he's getting sold the weapons and he doesn't want the big weapons and they say he has grav climb gloves he's like wait what he like wants those because he's a cat burglar he also is the uncle to miles morales and so when peter is interrogating him at the car he's like look these guys are crazy i don't want them in the neighborhood i got a nephew who lives here he's referencing miles morales oh cool i just was blinded by the fact that donald glover was so publicly like let me be spider-man and i love that they let him be in spider-man because he's too old to be a high school student well he's going to be the voice of miles morales in the animated thing i believe which is oh it's so cool now here's where i think he used the secret yeah yeah yeah. he willed it into reality (laughs) here's where i think it's a little bit problematic though Mm mm-hmm I love Peter Parker straight up. I'm glad we got another Peter Parker story actually justifying him in the correct point, the correct age in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I love it. Yeah. However, we've seen so many Peter Parker stories. We, this we the, the the story we're being told in this is such a mashup of both Peter's story and Miles' story. Ned is Miles' friend in the comic book. Oh, interesting. Uh, there's a bunch of just sort of little things that they've mixed in 
They've also and got so, the whole movie Birdman happening. Well, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get to Michael Keaton. Oh, oh we'll get to Michael Keaton. Okay. Uh, but I just, you know, they they poached some mile stuff. Interesting. Which is, you know, it's fine or it's not fine, depending on your yeah your uh, point of view. Well, I'm talk- sure they'll poach something for the next one from something else. Of course. Why? Why not? I don't know if you know this. Marvel has a lot of comics. <laughs> uh, I, m- myself <gasps> and my wallet are intrinsically aware of that fact. They got a lot of stuff out. <laughs> I've heard of these. They're comic pretty books. prolific. That Marvel. <laughs> Let's talk Michael Keaton. Who I love. Thoughts on Michael Keaton's performance in this movie, or the character of, of Tombs as general? Is another circumstance where I was like, casting directors have no vision. <laughs> like they literally were like, Birdman, Birdman, Bird, Bird, Birdman. <laughs> I love Michael Keaton, so I'm fine with it. But I w- it's just the whole time I was like, but literally that's how they decided this. <laughs> I feel like they didn't even audition him; they just offered it because they're like, we know you can be a bird. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I don't know, but um, I understand the character. He he feels like a, an incredibly grounded in in real problems villain. Yeah, incredibly grounded. Um, more justified than most. Yeah, and and if you think about it, even though he's got like you know fantastical things about him, marvelous things about Ooh. him, because he's because he's got this alien technology that he scavenged. But in this universe, that's what like guys that. In our universe, or you know, taking stuff that falls off the back of a truck, yeah, that's what they would be doing. Yeah, it checks out, and they would be doing it for their family, like, and willing to kill for it because they do in our universe. It's incredibly realistic and incredibly relatable from that point of view. He mm-hmm. is, and I love so the vulture in the comic books is a dumb character. It's a character from the '60s. It's literally a character who's like 90 years old who builds a suit to rob banks to uh, pay for his hookers to save his uh, granddaughter or grandson or something. Oh no, <laughs> it's stupid. And it's when when you have a 16 year old punching a 90 year old, it's weird. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's weird. But they took the vulture, a character I rolled my eyes at when I heard was going to be the villain. You could hear the grinding in the back of my skull. And they turned him into something that fits in the in the MCU. They turned him into a believable character. He's not evil. He's just out for himself and his own. Yeah. He he blames Tony Stark, but it's not that megalomaniacal fucking mustache twirly like, and now I'll kill him. He's like, no, I'm just going to stay under the radar and, and I, I just get my shit done. Yeah. The government... It screws him over. He's a common sort of blue collar, just fucking dude. That it, and and also like he's scavenging these things. Vultures scavenge shit. Like yeah. that makes thematic sense. It makes sense. Um, and and all of the tech he has developed for himself is functional in scavenging for for more shit it all looks like it's hobbled together he has the tinkerer with him uh he has the shocker which is these are also minor villains here's an issue oh everyone's way too casual when they turn what's his name into ash in front of them well they it's so funny because (laughs) there's no reaction the vulture's first murder is a pure accident yeah and it's like and he has no reaction to no. it which makes no. me think this man has killed with his bare hands even if you hated someone with every fiber of your being 
and wanted nothing more than, than to see them die. To see a human being <laughs> dissolve that way <laughs> would be upsetting at the least. <laughs> Even if you're not sad about the person, you'd be like, "I what the fuck did I just see? Like, because then he's like, oh, I thought that was a levitation thing. Like. You meant to levitate him and that happened and you don't care? <laughs> yeah, the, the level of shock in his face is not uh, congruent with what he actually just did. There's no but question. But also, bravo for boldly killing off Tom Hardy that fast. Uh, that wasn't Tom Hardy. Wasn't it? No, it just looks exactly like him. That's not Tom Hardy? That is not Tom Hardy. Oh, I've been giving them a lot of credit for killing him off. I always am impressed <laughs> when they kill off someone they impressive. Just- Wait, there's another one of him running around. Let's yep. Google him. There's a clone. <laughs> What's he doing? Um, the the uh, other thing I think this film does very well is uh, we've never actually seen the real struggle Peter Parker has. We've never seen like high school Peter Parker, even in the two mm-hmm. garbage movies by Mark Webb. Um the struggle of his life and feeling like he's a kid missing out on his life because of the responsibilities of Spider-Man has never felt more real. Uh, yeah. it, it's it's that like, you know, that there's a bigger thing that you can't tell anybody about that you need to actually take care of. And that's why you can't go and on the field trip sneak and hang out in the pool with the girl that you like. Or you can't like go off with your friends whenever you're doing this. Like it's it's or the party scene and all that stuff. It's very, very poignant and and sad that that peter feels the need to and now he's being ignored on both sides he's he's giving up his friendship like uh responsibilities or experiences mm-hmm. for a man tony stark iron man or happy in that case that's literally ignoring him or seemingly ignoring him yeah um so he's getting nothing from either side i enjoy because this is a problem anytime you try to make uh, a handsome actor, a, a loser at hi- yeah. in high school, is that it's a hard sell when they're gorgeous. <laughs> it's a hard sell, but it's so silly, but so specific and works so well to me that the thing that like nails his coffin is that girls overhear them talking about building a Lego Death Star. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> like, never mind. Yeah, <laughs> got it. Like, because like being really smart isn't a thing that gets you bullied anymore. No, and they go to a they go to a smart school. They go to yeah, like a they go to school. a special smart like charter school or whatever. Like, so that's not it. And he's very handsome and like ripped. Which they, what what a bold show off the abs move to be like he's a kid. Let's put him. Let's have him go in his underwear. <laughs> like I'm like, whoa! Marvel is. Remember, I said they double down. That's yeah. what I mean. There, <laughs> like, there you go. That they're like, we don't care how old they are. We're showing them off. <laughs> Jesus um, Christ! By the way, I'd like to take a moment. I looked up the actor that oh, I thought please. was Tom Hardy. His name is Logan Marshall Green, and I mm-hmm. owe him an apology because all the things he's been in, I was have been assuming all this time were Tom Hardy. Wow. So I owe I owe him an apology. Well, I, I accept his apology uh, on on his behalf Thank or your you. apology. Yeah, um, I'm so sorry. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so uh, going with our theme that we've done in phase one and phase two, I wanted to move on to uh, something that I initially did not find problematic until it was pointed out just how problematic it is in this oh, film. Okay, and that is dun 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 dun. 
Marissa Tomei's Aunt Marissa Tomei. Yes. <laughs> Did you notice any issues with with that or wh- how, what happens with her in the film? The first issues I noticed with her are when she's introduced in Civil War mm-hmm. is that um, it's like... It's like the studio decided they wanted a hot young Aunt May and the writers were like, okay, well, we're going to address that. And they just can't let go of it. Yeah. Because they, because I, I feel like they think it's weird that she's young and hot. Like the, <laughs> the people writing it are like, it's weird that you cast Marissa Tomei and now we have to write for her. So they can't let it go. They like can't get past the idea that she could be an aunt. Yeah. And they bring it up. That's her whole character is that she's hot. Right. Uh, <laughs> Which is I, like, she's also old enough to be someone's aunt, though. You can be hot. I have hot aunts. <laughs> aunts can be hot. This is the problem with, how do I put it? Meta jokes. So it's a tone deafness thing, first of all, because if your only characteristic for your character is that they're hot, that's kind of stupid. Yeah. Um, especially when they're supposed to have an emotional core, which she kind of does in this film, but it comes later. The joke is we all know everyone who's watched a Spider-Man movie or seen a cartoon or read a comic book knows that Aunt May is old and frail. Yes. So now the joke is how hot and young aunt may is it's it's a joke that the writers or whoever or whatever assumed that would pay off because isn't it funny that aunt may is normally old but now she's young and hot and it's like it's it's a different take like i don't think it's funny yeah so the people i was watching it with my my girlfriend jamie and our friend elise Mm -hmm. they pointed out uh, uh, four different times where the sort of may sexism hit and i had really only noticed two of them in the past oh okay the initial Tony crack in the car uh, when Peter in the beginning side note, the, how they show civil war and Peter in the car making the little movie about oh, his trip to Germany. Great. Wonderful. The whole, the whole, the way they interweave this story with what's going on with everyone else is great. Yeah. The perfect implementation and done the way a teenager right now would. Yes. Like there's 100%. no way you could have gotten his phone away from him. No, 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 no. He wouldn't you could have, be he like, have don't tell it. anyone. He'll be like, cool, 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 cool. <laughs> Snapchat. Yeah. Um, so when Tony does this thing, he's like, we should do a cover story for your aunt. Okay, here we go. Hey, mate, what you wearing? Something skimpy, I hope. Yeah. That's a Tony thing. That didn't bother me a lot. Because it's Tony. Yeah, it bo- but it bothered the people I was with. And then there's uh, the bodega crack where the bodega owner says like, hey, how's your aunt do? Or says something like mm-hmm. so, like how hot she is to a coworker. And Peter answers like, oh, how's your daughter? Yeah. That's the most blatant sort of thing I think is kind of just a little bit tone deaf. Then the thing that I did not notice was when she, May walks into Peter's room when she messes up the food and says that they should go out and get Thai mm-hmm. uh, with Ned's there, I believe, as well. Ned goes all googly eyed, which I don't have a problem with. But this is something interesting that I never even pick up on because I'm a guy, I guess. She does a thing where her hair's up and then her hair like goes down and she kind of tosses it a little bit when she's like, we're getting ready to go out for Thai food or whatever. Yeah. That apparently is a thing that is is a trope for women being sexualized in movies. D- throwing your hair down. Yeah. 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 I did. I'm again whew, over my head. But there was that. And then the final one is the Thai waiter at the restaurant, like gives her the sticky buns for free and like basically like leers at her. Yeah. So my my reading of all of these, even though the ones that went over my head, they're all present and they're all there. 
And I think if you took away one, maybe even two of them, I would be able to feel comfortable making the argument that this wasn't a blatant sexism problem uh, inherent in this character in the film. But they just hammer it down to you, this stupid fucking joke that is not even funny. So it's just it's it's definitely an issue. And also, like. Marissa Tomei is gorgeous. Sure. But like, can we ask her, like, is this what your life is like? That every conversation you've ever had is about how you're hot? Like, no, that's not yeah. the life of a hot woman. <laughs> like, right. Right, like right, right. other things come up sometimes. She's not just in a bubble of only being told she's hot at all times and nothing else ever happening yeah. to her. And like, and like, I can't imagine that the only thing anyone ever has to say to her nephew is about her being hot. Yeah. Why would you say that? You wouldn't say that be like constantly being like, eh, your fucking mom's hot. <laughs> like the only person that does it d- directly to Peter is Tony. And it's not even to Peter. He's making a joke around it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bodega guy doesn't think he, Peter speaks Spanish. Yeah. Uh, again, Ned does that like friend whose mom is hot. Sort of like, Oh, I don't know what to do yeah. sort of thing with the hair toss. And the Thai waiter doesn't even acknowledge Peter. That's fair. I don't know. I think, it's a tone deaf moment that happens too much in rapid succession in the first 25, 30 minutes of the film. And I'm like, okay, I get it. But again, it's stuff that I didn't think about beforehand. But when you add them up, it gets weird. Also, I will say, though, that sp- the the speaking Spanish, them not knowing that he also speaks Spanish thing is a very funny, like bodega specific. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because I feel like that's just like every day uh, in New York City is like. The people that work at a bodega assume you can't understand what they're saying about you in front of you. (laughs) Yeah. uh, So I appreciate that joke, even though it is adding to the like, oh, is it May hot? Like, I do like like, yeah, we I understand what you just said. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, What else about this movie? I think. I think Tony Stark, I love the fact that he's like not really there a lot. Even when he saves Peter for the first time, the vulture drops him. He's not in the suit. Mm-hmm. He's in like Dubai or some shit. At I guess a wedding? Yeah, who knows? Who literally gets a drink, takes a swill, and then gets in a car and drives away. Like Tony is just asking for trouble. All to be the fair, time. that car probably drives itself. It is fair, but it's a weird, like <laughs> it's a weird succession. Of events. I like if we're going on the opposite side of a sort of sexism thing. I like how Peter even vocally feels bad just calling his his suit "Hey Suit Lady," so he gives the suit a name mm-hmm. and like confides in the suit. I know, Karen. He needs a suit to talk to. Yeah, uh, I thought that was really nice. Um, I love that Martin stars in it. Yep, as the teacher. Yep, he's very funny, and it's also. If you're me and you pay too much attention to what John Francis Daly's up to, a cute little throwback to Freaks and Geeks. This actually, it's it's interesting. This film borrows a lot of like I think good tone from things like Freaks and Geeks and just that that pure high school moviness to it. Yeah, it's very much a high school movie. Like we've talked about, like Marvel being other genres. Like this feels like. High school movie genre. It, it it does it right. Yeah. And this is where, yeah, this should be the wheelhouse. I also love everything Zendaya says. The best Mary Jane on the <laughs> face of the planet. Uh, when she's like, mm, 
uh, I don't want to go into a monument that was built by slaves. <laughs> and then he's like, well, I don't think. And the guard's like, oh. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, you know what? Stay here. Enjoy yourself. Enjoy your book. It's, it's great. She's wonderful. She's like, I like drawing people in crisis. And she keeps showing people yeah. the drawings of them, which is wonderful. Yeah. Um, uh, the Captain America cameos are great. It's purely true. Oh, they're so funny. You would have those in schools. And I love how Hannibal Burris is like, I'm pretty sure this is a guy's a war criminal now. But like, we, we got to show the movie. No, yeah. And then um, and the after credit scene. The after credits is so funny because it's like it's about patience and like everyone is just sat there for 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah. And then it's sometimes like, it pays off. Other times you've wasted your time. Yeah. <laughs> so good. I love I love that. Um, um, the the what I think what makes this the best thing that it is sort of a high school movie is the the twist when it reveals that Liz Liz's dad is Adrian Toomes is the vulture yeah not something I saw coming not in the comic books no total shock and the most tense f- moment in this film that has Spider Man fighting everybody not the not it's not the ferry it's not the plane it's in the back of the car going to prom yes with him with the vulture driving in the front seat and the conversation they have it's terrifying yeah <laughs> and of course she would think nothing of it because dads do that to date right and so this movie does that a lot of times with with connecting um, story structure to theme in very interesting sort of packaged, wrapped up in a bow sort of ways. So it ties together the vulture as Liz's dad and makes it that sort of, it, it it makes the typical scene of a father talking to his daughter's date, but now you have the subtext of these, he's going to murder him God. if he continues to be Spider-Man. Then you have the other thing being like little things like the, the last heist he's planning ties in to the plan- the Avengers Tower being exited and mm-hmm. that the thing that we've been hinting at that seems like a throwaway thing for Happy to be doing is actually a narrative point in the film. Yeah. It does. It never has throwaway moments. They all tie back to themselves and that is strong story structure and script writing Yeah, uh, that I think doesn't get enough like real credit to it. When you can have all the aspects of your movie fit together like an actual jigsaw puzzle would yeah. and not have anything forced or lose a piece, yeah. I think that's so Super, super impressive. Like when I first saw it uh, in theaters and rewatching it, I love Peter's moment of having to psych himself up and be like, you can do it, Spider-Man. Like, and lift that fucking air conditioner off of himself and like convince himself that the suit wasn't what made him powerful. And like, but he's just so emotional and scared. I think the the moment... I is ruined for me. Oh no! Why? Because he's talking to himself. No, no, no! Oh. I, I love that he—he's whimpering like a child yeah, underneath there, and it's what like I feel like it's, I'm saying uh, he's whimpering like a child, and it's wonderful. Whoa, no, but it's—it's it's a great <laughs> character moment for him. What ruins it for me, and it—it it feels like a goddamn Sony Studio note is he looks down and sees a shitty CG reflection of his face against the mask at a weird angle, and that's what gives him the strength. I'm like fuck you movie because like he could have just sort of like psyched himself up or like realized it or like remembered something that Aunt May had said or like something and then done like the scene could have played out exactly the same because the if this is a sandwich the bread was super delicious but yeah. the the meat was like literally the most fucking cookie cutter baloney garbage mm-hmm. and I was like you fucking ruined this wonderful baguette 
Oh no! Um, By putting so, bologna on it. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just, I like I, bologna. <laughs> the, I, well, I, I like good bologna. Oh, I Oscar like, Myers. Oh, <laughs> is that the? Oh, that's. I was like, is that the good kind? <laughs> uh, no, 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 Shirley, no. that is not. The good kind. I don't eat meat anymore, and the only thing I miss is bo- is like crappy bologna. So, all right, <laughs> so fair. Ties I, I into me being fine with the scene, <laughs> but I see where you're. I see where you're coming from. I have bad taste in meat. <laughs> no, no, the analogy holds. We're just from two different perspectives of the sandwich. Yeah. We're both talking about the same meat. It's just that one of us is fine with eating it. <laughs> and that's what makes film discourse fun. Um, is there anything else before we get into the lesson that you want to talk about in specifics to this film? I feel like we've got most of the things. We covered a lot. Yeah, we covered a lot. What do you think this film is saying? If we want to go back to Shahir's original question for all of these films, what do you think Spider-Man Homecoming is trying to tell its audience? Um, I, I think the overall message is that... You have to find, like, it's cheesy, it's baloney, but you have to find the hero inside of you. If he wants to be a hero, he has to figure out what that means and where inside of him it comes from. He can't just rely on the outside idea of what being a hero is. He has to figure it out for himself. That's very true. That's very poignant. That even goes down to the last scene when Tony invites him to be an adventure and he turns it down. Like, mm-hmm. that's... It's because he made the right thing. He he kind of knew his lane and his speed and where he sort of came from and why he why he's doing the things he's doing. Yeah. He's not doing it to go punch uh, aliens or robots in the face for Tony Stark. He's doing it to look after the little guy and and try to make his part of the world a better place. And it took him a while to get there. Yeah, because he thought because once he got the suit, he thought the suit made him. And that's yes. that's actually a weird lesson. I feel like that's a good lesson for a young person because. Look at social media. Look at, I mean, hell, it's a good lesson for any of us, really. It's like all of this stuff that we sort of invent for ourselves, our own personal Spider-Man suits to make us look (laughs) super cool in all of these online aggregates. Mm -hmm. Uh, At the end of the day, we are looking at just everyone's highlight reels. And uh, we should keep that in mind when putting in context the aspects of our own life whenever we're sort of feeling down about them. Absolutely. Uh, Because, uh, yeah, I, I brought that into a weird spot but no think, but it's it's a good lesson and weirdly enough i think that even ties into the good old-fashioned with great power comes great responsibility it does it does especially after we've seen where all of the adult avengers like the shit they get into lightly it's it's good that this young man has a point of view because before he was only fighting for a side because he was told to and he was like happy to be there he was happy he was too happy to be <laughs> finding the hero within is is something that i would normally sort of roll my eyes at but i think that's exactly why spider-man exists is sort of yeah. like because spider-man is the every person and that's yeah, why it works he's just a doofy little guy that has to figure out what what he fights for well, speaking of doofy little guys. Oh, <laughs> uh, let, let's, go, <laughs> let's No, no, no. I was going to bring up Taika Watiti. Oh. Because he is a doofy little delight. I love that man so, so much. Thor Ragnarok, directed by Taika Watiti. I am obsessed with him. I saw him walking on the street the other day in my neighborhood. Oh, did you tell him we were going to talk about him? No, but I texted Elise and was like, do I turn around and like hit him with my car so I can make him talk to me? Like, what do I do? I, I love him so much. What did you do? I kept driving. Ah. <laughs> That's okay. I didn't want to hurt him. I just was like, I need to, do I yell at him? I love you. You talking about Diddy? I know who you are. This movie, he took over. Oh yeah. And they let him. 
And it's great. Totally. And I go back to what we said in our phase two episode. Please go back and check that out when we were talking about Edgar Wright and Ant-Man. I I think Marvel learned their lesson from that battle. And sadly, again, Edgar Wright, my favorite working director, it sucks that they had to learn it with him. But like, you should give these auteurs that you trust full control and beauty will come out of it. And they seem to have learned their lesson. Yes. With Thor Ragnarok. Yes. Because they because it doesn't as much as it is a Thor movie. It it, tonally is so different than the other ones. Oh, yes. And yet works. And it's so it's just so fun. But like from the ground up, they rebuilt what Thor is. Whenever I'm looking at a film that does something like this or does a complete switcheroo or a 180 of tone or whatever, I like to weigh the pros and cons of it. Now, Mm -hmm. there are things in this movie that basically they hand wave away. Mm-hmm. They hand waved Jane Foster away. Okay, that's fine. Oh, they broke up. They broke up. They actually hand wave away the Warriors Three, who were main characters in two other films. They kill them after a sentence each. Yeah. And I get it. You're supposed to show how badass Hela is, and we'll talk about Hela in a bit. We will talk about her. So, like, the, there are there are sacrificial lambs to be done in order to be able to pull off a tonal shift of this nature. Sure. I think overall the good vastly weighs out the bad yeah in that regard i i agree i mean i warned you i love this movie <laughs> i love hella so much let's talk about hella what a fucking badass kate blanchett fucking killing it her voice is my favorite sound it's good it just is her voice is just so like deep and resonant and uh, melodious she's just so i love it she's just like i'm hella like yeah. she, just, she says I it's all so throwaway and it's still powerful because it's her voice like she chews oh, scenery her. in the most amazing way in this movie like she knows what movie she's in and she just fucking goes for it mm-hmm. and she's head to toe is like walking in this character she's yeah. just in it and like languishing in every little moment like when she like puts her crown back on and like dramatically she's just like loving it the way i want someone to love being a villain yeah yeah and i and it shows her love shows and it's i I love hella also she has a doggy and i appreciate that (laughs) (laughs) i like how this is a this is it's funny because I Taika Waititi I don't think ever wanted to focus on the seriousness of this but there is an interesting if you want to if you want to dive deep into what this film and it kind of hella sort of means in a lot of ways it is how history is revisionist also Taika's from New Zealand and is half uh, Maori and talks a lot about revisionist history and whitewashing and colonization and like that like as a person he talks about a lot right. of that and it comes up thematically in his work and he absolutely like snuck in some pretty strong opinions uh about like the treatment of conquered peoples yeah but in the most fun way odin got to where he was using hella causing massive destruction mm-hmm. and then decided when it was enough and he could rewrite the history of how he did it and literally paint it over yeah and pretended everything was always what did it what does she say like dancing in garden parties yeah dancing in garden parties <laughs> so garden parties <laughs> yeah. in her deep gate blanchet 
<laughs> yes, I, I'm glad you brought that up. I did not know that that was a passion thing for him. So he 100% meant to put that in. That's fucking great. Well, because I, I again, I have a big old crush on him. So right. I read anything where his name pops up. Um, <laughs> and he's very outspoken uh, and honest about how colonialism affects where he's from. Yeah, 100%. That's his, that's his home. That's his life. They even bring it up a little bit. Uh, there was a quote I kind of was almost going to do for the beginning of this episode. It was a quote from Jeff Goldblum's The Grandmaster that was because uh, he hates the term slavery. So his friend was like, well, the prisoners with jobs have armed themselves. <laughs> the prisoners with jobs. Um, also, Taika is the the rock guy. Yeah, he Korg. Yep. Which is he's so funny. He's just so funny. Piss off, ghost. And if we're getting to the point of a movie. We, I think we already found it, especially for, from my point of view, knowing that this is a, a part of the director's life. I don't know if that's the lesson of the film, though. I don't know if it's, it's the lesson, but it's a, a strong undercurrent. Of yeah. The, yes. Because at the end of the day, Thor is still fighting the person that is bringing this all to light. That's true. But. In the, I think this is a credit to Taika and also the writers of this film, the concept of Ragnarok and Asgard falling mm -hmm. and the fact that it does due to the only way to beat Hela is to get Sutur, the, the fire monster god thing that's going to destroy all of it, uh, releasing it at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, He's basically rescuing all of as many Asgardian people that Hela hasn't killed. Because, look, the, the, this is the weird, complex thing. So I'm guessing, even though I don't know the ages of all the people he's rescuing, and actually Thor and Loki were too young to remember Hela anyway. So it must yeah. have been a generational, even though the generation is like thousands of years. Yeah, yeah. It's not these people's fault that they live in a society that used to benefit from colonization. It's mm -hmm. They're still benefiting from it, but they don't quite know it. And then you get into the moral gray area of what that is. And since yeah. they're not actively doing it anymore, are they still at fault? Whatever. Yeah. So Thor does the best thing that he could in letting the slate be wiped clean and rescuing as many people as he can. Because he realizes how problematic that, that this whole thing has happened. And also, like, Hela is... Like as much as she is what brings up the uh, like the, the topic of like what really happens when you're creating an empire. Yeah, she's still the she was the one doing it, and she is the bad guy. So it's like yes. a resurgence of hmm, of like white supremacists. You know what I mean? Like it's a resurgence of uh, of being like, well, shit, we gotta get rid we gotta get rid of her. Yeah, because she's she's trying to return to the way things used to be. And they, they're like, that might be how we got here, but we're not doing it again. Yeah, that's an excellent point. Thor's journey in this, it's at the same time one of the most uh, sort of changing films for Thor mm -hmm. and the least consequential film for Thor. Because when you go down the road of Jokey Joke Town on 22 Jokesville Lane, Yucksville, <laughs> California, mm -hmm. 900 Ha Ha. Oh, that's where I'm from. Oh, so you're familiar. <laughs> I'm from Yucksville. I'm actually from Yontville. Ooh. <laughs> very, very close sim to Yucksville. Very similar to Yucksville. Um, you lose gravity sometimes of what is happening. For instance, mm -hmm. spoiler alert, Thor's eye being lost is nothing. There's no weight to it. There's no reaction. There's no anything. I'm also a little confused about the injury itself. But sure. Yeah, I don't quite understand it. I rewatched it more than once to see what part of the sword hits him. Because I thought maybe it was the butt ah. of the handle. But no, it's the the, the sword. Yeah, so then why out. is it a big bruise? That, like I get did she cut his eye out 
Yeah. It's just gone? Yeah. So what... I, it's just... This, they did it with makeup rather than CG, which I kind of like better, to be I honest, mean, than yeah, a gaping like, hole in his eye. I would prefer that as well. But... Uh, uh, no, but it isn't, it's like, doesn't bother him. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fine. Uh, however, the, the thing about, uh, when he loses his hammer in the beginning of the film and him coming to terms with what it means to be Thor without the hammer uh-huh. it is, I think a growth sort of moment for him. Kind of like Peter without the suit. Exactly. By the way, mm. very aware that Thor and the Hulk were not involved in civil war because if either of them was present, it would have gotten out of control. Yeah, actually, in the comic books, the Hulk is gone because they shot him into space, and then it's a Planet Hulk thing. <laughs> Poor Hulk. That Hulk's one of the other things that I really, really enjoy in this movie. Yeah. I would give anything to watch Mark Ruffalo doing the reference footage for this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you can see him doing it, being like, Hulk, Hulk angry. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, oh, they're tiny. <laughs> like, like, I want to watch Minecraft. I mean, you fi- you basically do. Yeah. They make the Hulk so Mark Ruffalo. Side note, I love that Thor the entire time is trying to do the sun's getting real low thing <laughs> Yeah, to Hulk, and it doesn't work. And it doesn't work. Yeah. He's just heard... Black Widow do it and is like, oh, the sun's getting real low, buddy. <laughs> it's so funny. And then Loki has a great arc, I think, in Ugh. this as well. I love that Thor always knows he's just going to betray him and like that's fine. Be still my evil little heart. <laughs> and he takes the Tesseract, which I think is going to have some bad consequences oh, uh, coming yeah. up. I love Get Help. Yeah, Get Help's funny. <laughs> that's a total Taika thing. Uh, yeah, I, I assume watching it, I'm like, oh, this is a thing he did. Oh, yes. Let's do get help is something he has said in his life. 100%. I love Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, Jeff Goldblum is dope. Jeff Goldblum does a show here in Los Feliz, Los Angeles. Okay. He has like a jazz band that he jams with. Of course he does. He plays piano and he does like banter. Somebody off stage like hands him jokes. While he's doing it, he brings people up. He stays after and like meets everyone. I took I took my mom. He hit on both of us. It was very <laughs> he is so it was so much. But his character in this is that show. Mm. So I was like, has he seen Jeff Goldblum's jazz show and just was like, do that in the movie? I hundred I bet you he did. I hundred percent bet that happened. It's, oh, he's just so what a weirdo. No, he. Took a picture with my mom and I talked for my mom because she got nervous. Oh, she loves him so much. So I was like, Jeff Goldblum, this is my mom, Kathy. Will you take a picture with her? And he went, Ooh, mommy, mommy, Jesus. And <laughs> like creeped up like pelvis first at my mother, who was just so charmed. <laughs> well, speaking of charmed, I think Valkyrie's wonderful in this movie. I would, I would like to know more about comic book valkyrie i did some of my own research and just like i expected she was like a blonde porn starry like vikingy drawing yeah which is what i assumed this movie's turning a frown upside down they've made valkyrie an actual character now Mm -hmm. fleshing her out making sure that her story is like her introduction is amazing because you get everything about her she's super badass but then drunk and falls off the thing and then gets up and then like kind of rescues thor but then doesn't like it's it's her entire thing, and she's a hard drinking, getting away from her problems. She's the last survivor of Hela before, which is a nice tie-in. I like, yeah, I like her. She's fun and has weight to her, and uh, I can't think of a point in the movie 
that is ever problematic with her character uh, that we've talked about, like with Aunt May or anything else. Something I will say that I, uh, I'm always impressed when it happens because mm. it's so rare in any movie, not just like nerddom movies. Sure. She's kind of unlikable for a while. Yes. And they just let her be unlikable, which women don't get to be very often in, in film. Yeah. Without being the villain or or just infinitely labeled a bitch. Yeah. She's just a character who isn't super likable all the time. Yeah. I enjoy that she has that breathing room to because when you first meet her, you're like, what the fuck are you like? Yeah. yeah, like, yeah. Oh, you kind of suck. But I like I, I'm interested, but like kind of a jerk like, and that's just fine and she just gets to exist and be a person with problems and and yeah all the characters in this film are great i can't think of one that i'm like no uh scourge is a little bit underdeveloped and i think flip-flops a lot but he flip-flops in the comics so i don't particularly care carl urban is great and he, he's not given a lot to do but he has fun with it and i think that's fine yeah the uh i love the look of this film i love the sort of 80s fucking neon synth uh the soundtrack is the same yes. thing it's just this is a movie that knows what it is and leans into it for better for mostly better and the worst is not even it's not even it's negligible when thor comes flying in on his lightning bolt yeah some immigrant song yeah with the like in like slow motion it's like ah. i'm like yeah, yeah. this is a this here's the van the van's this, yeah. pulling out <laughs> yeah, the van the, the, this let's is painted go. on every the van. van's here let's go party um but it's so great that whole scene is great that end fight yeah everybody's a badass in it um loki uses his helmet as a weapon i know which i'm like yeah, oh, I think that's hello. oh i just love him so much I hate that I love him. <laughs> and there's very little things you could pick nits with. Um, and I think the end is the closest thing to Infinity War that we will have seen so far when Thanos' ship shows up to do doomy things to the yeah. Asgardians, probably tracking Loki with the Tesseract. Probably. Um, Can't be flying around with that thing, Loki. So what's this film saying, Shalia? Well, I think they really uh, lay it out for us, which is uh, Asgard is not a place. It's a people. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the that's the that's the saccharine little thing that they do. That's but that's it. That's what the point. That's the point is like you don't have to save a place to save a people. I think that's the answer the characters come to. Yes. I don't think that's what the film is saying. I think that, okay. again, I think that sort of falls into the same category of the colonization thing. Like mm-hmm. it's there and it's a thing. Well, because that statement also works in with the colonization thing. Too. Yes. Yes. Like the save a people. It's not a place. It's a people. Right. What do you think? I think what this film is honestly trying to do and trying to tell us mm-hmm. is that this franchise and this this whole and, and maybe even life in general, depending on how deep you want to go, doesn't have to be so fucking serious. Oh, OK. Like it literally is taking stuff that up to this point, I mean, it's had levity in it. But you look at some of these movies and they get a little grim, dark. They get a little serious. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's like or. You could flip the switch and go the other way, and it's just as good, if not better in some way. So I think yeah. that's the weird little positivity thing I want to take of it, because Taika got this as like, yeah, it's about space Vikings, so going to make it silly. 
Right? God, he did such a good job. But let's move on to... Bye, Taika. Not even arguably the most important... Just the most important... Marvel film out of these 18, saving the best and the most profitable for last. I believe clocking in at this point in time, $1.3 billion worldwide. Holy shit. Ryan Coogler's The Black Panther. It's so... It's just so so good it's so good i saw this movie again this morning i mean i'll say it no notes no notes yeah it's, send it back <laughs> no to the notes. Studio. it's, it's fine. so good it's so good uh, we it's have an email so for this good. one as well shalia oh great this is from uh nick who says he, they're a short time listener hi nick yes hello nick uh, they're a short-time listener, but they've been catching up at a rapid pace, he says. Ooh. Now that you'll be discussing Marvel's Phase 3, including Black Panther, it seems it would be noting in your Black Panther review, I think he's referencing the one that uh, myself, Shahir, and uh, SVP, Steve Van Patten from MTV, uh-huh. did to go back and check that out for a fuller Black Panther experience. Uh, but he says, it was worth noting that in your Black Panther review, you found the use of the, quote, what are those meme jarring? Oh. And that's when his sister is pointing out the sandals that he's wearing. Wearing. It's a, that's a very memeable thing. Yeah. He basically goes on to say, I too felt the same way, particularly because the meme is almost five years old now. But if this movie is supposed to follow up Civil War, then maybe the scene was not to reference a meme, but instead reference a time in which the movie took place, 2015 to 2016. Just something I thought I ought to point out, figured it could open up a discussion about the Marvel timeline outpacing real time. Well, shit. I hate to let Nick down, but I I'm too out of touch to have noticed that. <laughs> I would didn't know why everybody laughed. <laughs> One, I was like, yeah, I guess his shoes kind of suck. <laughs> I've seen stuff online since then that it was the what are those thing, but I even people tried doing that to me like as a response online, and I was I was like, I don't know what that is. Like, <laughs> I had to look it up and was still like, I don't I don't get it. I don't understand like, that I reference. I don't understand. I am very old. It brings up an interesting thing because I don't know. Marvel's been very cagey because it's dangerous to start putting dates on things on when they're taking place. The only one we actually know takes place in a specific time are both Guardians films take place in 2014. And the only reason we know that is because title cards say like 1980, then 34 years later. Yeah. Like, that's how we can put a timetable to it. Yes. The rest of the films are a little bit problematic in where they sort of connect. And I think if you start putting dates on everything, the, the experiment might fall apart. Mm-hmm. because there's a Spider-Man problem of like when actually Spider-Man's happening. It like, might not all add up, so it's dangerous to right. say. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'd like to think that the wizard is the wizard behind the curtain and they are including things like that because it does take place legitimately right after Civil War, which I believe did come out around the same time as that meme did. Mm-hmm. So Shuri would have known that that's a meme and used it on her brother if this movie took place in 2015. Does Wakanda fuck with memes? I think do they they care Shuri does (laughs) she does Shuri is the one that is the most progressive in her ideology or like she's she's the most outwardly like I'm of the world sort of character they just seem so productive it doesn't seem like they sit around on Twitter all day like us assholes but Shuri does right because she's making jokes about sneakers she's the one being like this corset is too big so can we move on I just would like to believe that Wakanda is a place where people have better things to do than social media maybe maybe that's what i want to believe that that's anyway, part of their prosperity 
Yeah, right. A nation of people with better things to do. That's a very interesting question, Nick. It I think is. my answer is if they did it on purpose, it was one like junior writer sneaking it in and being very clever about it. Or even a line reading that turned into a joke. Yeah, that could also be too. The actress is young. She might have said it that way. And they were like, oh my God, that's funny. And leave it in. Yeah, that could very well be. I'm going to look into that further. Yeah. Uh, what What's left to say about Black Panther that everyone hasn't already said about Black Panther? I do have a note. I thought of one. What's your note? It's very small, but it has to do with the place. Okay. Why are they selling those baskets? <laughs> those like gift shop, like, welcome to <laughs> South Africa. Want something you can pretend is authentic? Have a basket. <laughs> like, why Why in this insanely advanced? Uh, like, yeah, they do go to that basket, uh, that basket shop like three times. It felt like the Epcot version of Wakanda. <laughs> fair, fair. Uh, I love the fact that when T'Challa is talking to Shuri in the lab and he's getting all the gear for his mission in South Korea, Mm -hmm. it feels so James Bond. That whole sequence feels James Bond. And I'm like, make James Bond this. It's very, yeah, it's very James Bond. But then he, she, like, he gets the new suit and she explains the kinetic energy and like, that's good. We understand how all the gear works. Now go have fun with the gear. When he's now having the chase scene in Seoul, uh, the Shuri narrates to him again how the powers work Mm -hmm. and I was like stop giving me tutorial cutscene instruction and just let's let this play out yeah but again these these two gripes we've brought up are so tiny like this movie's so near perfect you can't you, i'm like i had trouble thinking of something i didn't like set dressing is my complaint <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah i have a problem with one and a half lines of dialogue one set dressing piece <laughs> insane uh i think this is the strongest female presence any of these 18 movements have ever had they're so good like the fact that there's like a teenage girl doing all the t- cool tech stuff. Is yeah. she is just the coolest ever, and they like wi- there's so many women with so many different jobs and personalities, and everybody's a badass and in their own way. Yeah, like no, there's not like one version of being a kickass woman. Like yeah, I agree. It's so cool. The the what the guard? What are the what's the guard called? The the Dora Milaje. Sorry, there the we go. Dora okay, Milaje. Yeah. Um, they're, it's, they're just, they, oh, I love, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and particularly in, in, uh, in Shuri's case, again, I, I, I'm hoping they go the, so in the comics, uh, Iron Man is actually taken over by a African-American, uh, young 16 year old girl named Riri. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that they sort of fold that together to make, uh, to turn Shuri into the new Iron Man. If Iron Man happens to die. The comics go all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of stuff happens in those things. I know. Uh, what else? Uh, I like I like the use of Claw. I like that he dies halfway through and is used as basically Killmonger's ticket into Wakanda. Mm-hmm. And Killmonger, fuck, Michael B. Jordan, baby. He's so good. And talk about not having a villain's problem. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He is a perfect villain in that everything he says is not wrong. Yeah. It's just about your perspective. That's the only thing separating them. And how he's going about fixing the problems from his perspective. I mean, he straight yeah. up murders people. He shoots because his girlfriend was, in the chest. Like Because he was raised with a culture that is so different than what Wakanda has. Yeah. Like the only difference is just one grew up one place, one grew up the other. And I love that T'Challa 
used to see his father T'Chaka as this like pillar of moral superiority Mm -hmm. and then he realizes that like and this is an important lesson I think we all learn at some point in our lives that some sooner than others but that our parents are not perfect and they are not gods and they are human beings and no matter how good or bad they are they have facets to them they are very guardians of the galaxy volume 2 and Mm -hmm. they are actual people a lot of dad problems in the MCU hashtag dad problems (laughs) and T'Challa comes into his own even to the point where he like screams at his dad in that in the spirit plane or whatever uh like about how he was wrong and now it's his turn to lead and he's gonna lead and and i think that's that's a powerful statement how a generation can overcome the sins of the past generation Mm -hmm. uh and there's a lot of allegories with like wakanda if if you know whatever country in the real world is the most powerful like how much aid should they provide what should they do like there's you know there's all these questions that this movie doesn't answer but hints at way more than a normal action film would Mm -hmm. and the cultural importance of this film is beyond reproach it's just like i went to a theater today this is a month or so after it's been out and the theater was near full yeah Yeah, yeah. and i'm like This is important to so many people, and it shows us that like superheroes and these films are a hundred percent for everyone and should continue to be and and should and the entirety of this whole experiment should do better and use this as an example of how, yeah. and I got so emotional watching this movie yeah. just with like how many doors it opened in so many different directions, like racially for women characters for different points, like perspectives, like a conversation about yeah. race, like the fact that, the, you know, the bad guy is a military guy from Oakland. Yeah. Like it, it just is so all encompassingly powerful. I was I was just emotional the whole time. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, both times they fight at that waterfall when he fights um, Umbaku, and uh, I, hi- I was hiding behind my shirt. It's so visceral, and that's what a fight scene needs to feel like. It needs to feel like it has consequence, and it it feels that way. Fun fact. Ooh. Not fun, I guess. Fun to know, but troubling for the actors. Apparently, when they were filming the waterfall uh, scene, uh-huh. the the reflective nature of the water and how long they were outside, the cast, their eyes started getting sunburned. So you can see, Whoa. like, Daniel Kaluuya's eyes look so crazy red in that scene. And I was like, God, get him some eye drops. Like, what the hell's going on with him? His eyes were sunburned. Jesus. Isn't that crazy? Your eyes can get sunburned. That's insane. So that's why it's fun is because I learned something <laughs> It's not fun for anyone that did it. I I don't want to uh, I don't want to cut this conversation any shorter than the other ones, but I do feel like all we'll be doing at this point is just praising this film, just praising Black Panther. And maybe that's important, and maybe that's good. But I also think everyone else sort of already has. I just feel like I love a villain that has purpose. Mm-hmm. I love when a movie can take, like you said, sort of opening all these doors, different points of view, and give them narrative reason for being there. Hell, yeah. I love. Even uh, Ross, the character uh, Everett Ross, played by uh, Bilbo Baggins. Why am I blanking on his name? Martin Freeman. Yeah. She said lovingly. <laughs> but like he like it's a it's a tough role in this film to be that character. Yeah. By the way, though, the two white guys in this film are <laughs> Bilbo Baggins and <laughs> Gollum. Would you say they're the Tolkien white guys? They're the Tolkien white guys. That is neither of our jokes, but it is so good. Oh, it's so good. No, but I was thrilled. When I first saw the poster, I was like, 
I, I approve. <laughs> Great. All the actors do incredible work in this film to bring their characters to life and show us things we don't normally see in comic book movies. Uh, for instance, Okoye and Wakabe's marriage, them both putting country before their love for one another. That's something that's super rare in these types of films, especially a female character doing that. Also, though, I love that she knows that that rhino is going to stop and give her a kiss. Yeah. yeah She's yeah. like, please don't charge at me with your pet. <laughs> like, that's, yeah, exactly. One of my favorite moments earlier on is um, and I realized this happened. Uh, there's a similar scene in Wonder Woman and then the, in this it, how fun it is to have warrior women have to wear a nice dress. <laughs> Yeah, yeah and she's wearing the wig so, too. Yes, she's so miserable. And then the second she gets to ditch it, throws the wig in someone's face and just like rips the dress off and starts fighting. But like, and even um, adorable, what's her name? Nakia. Nakia. She takes her shoes off when the shit goes down. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, when they yeah, start yeah. fighting, she's like, fuck these things. Like, I appreciate that there's this like acknowledgement uh, of like, no, these women, like the outfits we are forced to wear to look nice are not functional. You got to throw them out once the shit goes down. Like, yeah, if you're going to fight, you have to take your heels off, <laughs> throw your wig in someone's face and run. Yeah. Like. <laughs> <laughs> so this film obviously um, it did so incredibly well. And then I, even before this movie came out, I think they knew they had a hit on their hands because Infinity War in itself, a lot of it does take place in Wakanda. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the Wakandan characters are in Infinity War. So they will be there. And uh, I'm glad because I'm it's it's a place I want to go back to yeah. uh, cinematically. And, uh, and if it was in real life, I'd, I'd love to go to Wakanda as well. I can't wait to see more of Wakanda. And we will soon. So wait, so before we wrap up this incredibly long journey that we've taken together, what do you think Black Panther is trying to say? Oh, God. I mean, so many things. Come on, we're both two white people. Let's talk about what I, Black Panther's trying I to say. I know, I know, but like cultural identity and like what that means and like drawing from like anger versus drawing from like inner peace and like of all the movies has the most complex emotional stakes because of what the, the movie is not within you know what I mean like it's hard to separate the emotional stakes of the movie itself even existing yes from what's happening in the movie I think it takes the emotional stakes and uses them the best it, it intertwines plot and emotional stakes the best out of any of these films yes uh i i would argue on a personal level that guardians 2 has higher emotional stakes but does not use them in the plot in the same mm -hmm. way that this film ties them perfectly together it's hard to separate yeah and you can't and that's and, where and i'm they... kind of like what's the like the lesson i got from it on a like the lesson you get from black panther is there can be a blockbuster movie led by black actors yeah. that is successful. Yeah. That's the lesson of Black Panther. But that's not the lesson in the movie. So I'm like, my brain is like having trouble ripping them apart from each other because it feels so connected. If I had to just take what, what the film itself, I think, is trying to give mm -hmm, us mm -hmm. is that heroes and villains are simply a matter of perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And this sounds weird, but like there is no good or evil and it's a matter of perspective and it's a matter of evil is literally what uh, society as a whole deems bad. Like it's just like a weird, I don't know. And we, we have a longer, that's a longer discussion, but uh, I yeah, think, I mean the danger of identifying things as evil 
blanket yeah. evil is like Killmonger's actions that were deplorable, but he was do he never thought he was being evil. No. He thought he was being righteous. If Killmonger showed up with like to just like take Los Angeles, I'd be like, You're not wrong. <laughs> I'll go peacefully. Shit. Shalia. Yeah. <laughs> Shalia. We did it. We've done it. We did it. We've done it. We've watched 18 films uh, somewhat together. What's sad is I really want to watch Thor Ragnarok again. Well, like, you can. Like, That's the great thing about done, these I'm things. I'm probably going to watch. Hey, you know what? Maybe I will too. Maybe we'll just sort of jump on at the same time so we can experience it. <laughs> the, before we sort of wrap this up, there's a couple little fun things I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. At the end of phase three, Shalia, the Infinity Stones. Let's talk about where they are. Okay. I need you to tell me. <laughs> I'm going to. Great. So the space stone is the Tesseract. The Tesseract. Loki stole. Loki has it uh, yes. at the end of Thor Ragnarok. The mind stone is from Loki's scepter, and it is now in Vision's forehead. It's in Vision's head. Okay. It's two. Uh, the reality stone is the ether, which was located uh, at the end of Thor 2, given to the collector, but his collection was destroyed, so we don't know right. where that we is. We don't know where it is. Mystery. The Power Stone is the one from Guardians 1, the purple one, and the Nova Corps has it. Got it. The Time Stone is in the Eye of Agamotto in Doctor Strange's necklace. Shit. And the Soul Stone, no one knows for sure, but it is traditionally sort of a lighter pinkish purple, I believe. And that is the same sort of color that the purple heart-shaped herb (gasps) that gives Wakanda its power. So I think it might be at the heart of the vibranium asteroid that hit. Would explain why Thanos goes to Wakanda. Yeah. Other than it's great. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, maybe he just needs a basket. Maybe that's what the whole thing is. And go there for the baskets. Stay for the equality. Um, So I just find it interesting. Like all these movies have led up to these incredibly powerful MacGuffins that one person or being is going to try to collect. Which I have magically up until this podcast ignored. Well, seven hours of conversation will fix that right up. I know, but if I had never done this, I would have been, I would, I wouldn't know where any of them were. <laughs> well, I I'm glad you... I didn't know the Tesseract was an Infinity Stone until very recently. I was like, it's a Tesseract. It's just, <laughs> I don't. Oh. <laughs> so that's where all the stones are. So Thanos can thank us for giving him that list. Shalia. Yes. What out of these 18 films mm-hmm. is your favorite film? This is very hard. And it feels like cheating. Sure. To pick the two most recent ones as my front runners. But they are. Yeah. Thor Ragnarok and Black Panther yeah. are absolutely like it depends. It just depends which way I'm going as far as favorite because they're so different. You know yeah, it's I mean? your mood like, at that point. It's my it's just a mood thing. Yeah. Yeah. As yours, the first Avengers. Uh, it was for a long time. What is it now? I think, honestly, after doing this whole journey, uh-huh. if you're looking at favorite for being a film that has the most to say, a film that has sort of the most rewatchability, the one that can hit not only feels but really funny moments, and the ones that is super just sort of poignant for all characters involved, not necessarily from a world building perspective, though it does do a little bit of that as well, it is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Yeah. I used to say Avengers. I used to say Civil War. I, I think it's just after watching all of these in, in the order that, in which they were released, it's the most powerful resonant and overall rewatchable where you still 
pick up new and interesting things every time you watch it. And uh, I, I think that is 100% my favorite. Yeah. And now. The final question. The, yeah, kind of. Shahir wrote us in a question. He said, now that we've rewatched all of the MCU films, what do you think are the most salient pieces of information from them that a viewer needs to know before walking into Infinity War? And can Infinity War be the first MCU movie that you watch? Okay. Now, I am a very, very good babysitter. Okay. So I'm going to try to explain this like I'm talking to a very curious five-year-old. Okay, great. Infinity War is a movie where characters from a bunch of different superhero movies are all going to team up because a bad guy is trying to collect a bunch of magic stones. And all the superheroes, they don't always work together. But for this, they're going to have to. And we don't know if that's going to work, but they've got to stop the bad guy to save the world, to save the universe. Yeah. So I would say due to your answer, yes, you could see Infinity War if you were just given that primer 100 percent. Look, I explained how the sun works to a five year old once, So I I'm fine. I you can got do, it. I can sell anything. Nice. I, <laughs> I like can it. Sell uh, snake oil Anything. to a snake to a snake <laughs> <laughs> just do multiple snakes I think though you will obviously get more from the Infinity War having seen the films I think that's a generality yeah uh, I boiled it down to like, okay, now time to go to bed. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, no, I like, I really like that d- definition because it does prove that you could do it. Could I do think it. you will just be, you as a viewer will be rewarded more, obviously, because they've literally set this thing up for 18 damn movies. And then to answer the question of what's the one thing these movies have taught us, what I've learned is that heroes are symbols that matter in the worlds of these films, but also to society in general. They are shorthand for very complex topics that should be a starting point of a conversation uh, and nowhere near a finish line of one. Mm -hmm. And I think the fact that if you just go into that knowing that these characters represent something and having watched 18 films, you'll get that. But if you were cold, it might be a little bit different. But just knowing how important all these characters are to different people and knowing that one character is coming to basically fuck it all up yeah. is a powerful sort of thing. Uh, because this is literally a character coming to tear down the symbolism of an entire universe that's been built. Yeah, And that hasn't been done in film before. And I'm psyched to see if it actually works. Because yeah. who knows? It could totally fail. Uh, I think it's important to go in with the idea, like we were just saying, there isn't, there's no such thing as good and evil. Mm-hmm. All you can do is fight for what you believe in. And sometimes you have to work together with people you don't always agree with to make the world okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yours is better than mine. Thank you for being here, Shalia. I'm talking to children. I'm still doing it like it's a five-year-old. But, but no, no, but like, that's, but that's what not a five-year-old, is. that's not a five-year-old concept. I talk to five-year-olds like grownups, remember? Like oh, that Stark. is true. Go back to the phase two podcast for that. They can handle big topics. You just have to be factual with them. Yeah, makes total sense. The last thing, the last thing of the last things of the last things, because this <laughs> podcast just won't end. It won't end. Um, Sorry. This is your life now. Do you have any predictions of what you think you'll see on April 27th when we finally get to see Infinity War? I'm nervous about deaths. I'm I'm worried they're going to kill more because everybody keeps saying that Tony Stark's probably going to die. 
It's either Tony or Cap. I don't think they'll do both. No, but here, like as a Harry Potter girl, there's something very brave about killing off multiple characters that you love in the final chapter. Sure. So uh, maybe it wouldn't be the worst idea, even though it would be sad to have. And it makes more it adds weight when more than one character dies because that's real. Yeah. No, true. It's not realistic to go through a, a war and have only one person die. You know? I don't think only one person, one character is going to die. I just don't think I don't think they're going to both take out Tony and Cap. No, I don't think so. I think, for instance, I think Loki is going to die up top. Oh. He he failed Thanos twice or whatever. And now he's <sighs> he has even he's gonna. I think he's going to give him the Tesseract and then he dies. Oh, it's, I'm going to have a hard time. I kind of think Cap will sacrifice himself to save Iron Man, I think. Yeah. But maybe his weird powers will keep it from... It won't work. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. Oh, well, this has come to a... This has come to an end, Shalia. I know. There's no more content. There's no more questions. The only question that we absolutely have will be answered on April 27th of the year of Someone's Lord, 2018. Mm-hmm. I want to thank everybody for sticking with us for as long as they oh, have. This you. is a journey that took us a long time to put together and mm-hmm. a journey that I hope was a rewarding experience for anyone listening to all probably, I think, seven hours of us discussing Jesus. these films. I get why my my mom's not listening. I get it. <laughs> oh, she will one day. She'll get one day. She'll miss me enough one of these days. <laughs> yeah, just don't call her. And just keep whenever she calls, She'll just send the link. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you very much for sticking with us. This has been an absolute delight. Uh, Shalia, it has been an honor serving with you. It has been an honor and a privilege playing with you tonight. <laughs> we are now the people playing the Titanic down. I hope <laughs> we're not. Thank you for catching that that's exactly Shalia, what I was been, saying. We're talking for seven hours. I know your Titanic references by now. <laughs> <laughs> this has been an amazing experience in I, I what's the word I'm looking for? I, I guess it would be indulgence. <laughs> yes, I think that's the word. <laughs> yeah. So thank you very much once again uh, uh, for look, coming on with this journey. I've been thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. Uh, I was all, spent all day so excited and now, you know, my life is uh, meaningless again. Oh, that will is I not turn, true. Will I turn to into a villain maybe, maybe maybe you will maybe i could see you going doing some hella action yeah. just get that helmet oh so cool yeah i'm gonna go get a helmet that's my plan good good you keep doing this podcast about movies i'm gonna go become a super villain <laughs> great uh it's about midnight around here so i'm probably gonna go to sleep oh jesus but this has been the only podcast about phase three of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Again, I keep saying it, but we did it. Thank you for listening. If you have any thoughts about any of the phases, about any of the stuff, please write us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com. You can also reach me at Skeletor, the number four P-R-E-Z on Instagram or Emperor MSK on Twitter. That's my personal only movie pod for us on Twitter as well. iTunes reviews. We love those. Please look, if you've made it, through seven hours of us talking about this stuff, drop a review and tell us why. <laughs> That'd be great. Shalia, yes. when you are not indulging me in this most ridiculous exercise, where can folks find you? You can find me on all the places at Shalia Evans because I, I got it covered. 
I'm all one name. You got it. You got it. All everywhere. Julia Evans. That's me. Perfect. I'm not the girl from The Voice. <laughs> Fair. There's another Shalia and God help her. I'm coming. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, that's my super villain thing. <laughs> so I'm going to take down a teenager that was on a singing competition. <laughs> Anyway, I think that's the only way this podcast can end is with you threatening that poor girl. I'm fine with it. Thank you, everybody. Until next time. Bye, I'll miss you. Stay marvelous. Stay marvelous.